When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with me, Russell Guyver. Um, not having a game to talk about this week, having had a week off due to those pesky internationals. Um, so we've switched our attention. We'll do a bit of a Norwich preview later on, but we've switched our attention to some other matters. And one thing that's been going on behind the scenes um, is the FA Cup. Now, I like to normally get to an FA Cup game if there's a spare weekend, ground hopping, ticking grounds off, etc. Unfortunately, I couldn't do in the, uh, the recent round of fixtures. Uh, and indeed I can't this weekend because of course we have got the Norwich game however a man that often does that is my guest here who's joining me today it's Phil Annette who is an author he's written a book called FA Cup 150 an official cornucopia of FA Cup facts facts and stats it says here Um, welcome to the show Phil how are you I'm very well Russell good to talk to you excellent yeah it's a pleasure to have you on because um, I've always been a great fan of the FA Cup I always loved the, the early rounds. I mean, a, a lot of people talk about third round being great, and, and, it, and it is in its way. But I actually like the first round, the second round, those, those rounds a lot more in terms of what's covered on TV. BT Sport did quite a good job of that in particular. Um, uh, but it goes back a lot further in time than that, doesn't it? The season is very much underway, FA Cup-wise. Um, we're just approaching, I believe, the final qualifying round, aren't we, this weekend, which is the 16th, uh, Saturday 16th. I think all the games are on the same day, aren't they, as well? Pretty much. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The FA do like them all to happen on a Saturday if they can. Um, yeah. And usually when there's ground showing or TV reasons, um, there is one earlier kickoff. Um, yeah. not past 12 but all the rest will be kicking off at three o'clock yes brilliant that's great it's almost like an old-fashioned football isn't it it's still still around somewhere yeah. <laughs> well tell us about well, we'll get on to your book a little bit later on but first of all um can you t- for anyone that doesn't really know but either people who are not so knowledgeable about, about football in general or about the fa cup in particular talk tell us about when this all starts how many rounds there are because I, I think i would suggest a number of our listeners probably don't know the exact details if they were put on the spot. It's hundreds of teams, isn't it? And a number of rounds. Yeah. Yeah, the FA Cup uh, is, is fantastic because it's open to um, all clubs across the country, right down to what is now called a 
level nine of the football pyramid. So uh, for Premier League is level one, and we're talking about eight levels below that. Um, it's just been a restructure by the FA actually to sort of uh, get a level that they can use as the minimum level for the FA Cup. So it used to be level 10 as well, but a lot of changes have happened so that now it's level nine. Um, but that means that uh, for this season, there were 627 clubs that uh, take part in the competition um, starting the first weekend of August. And uh, we've already had five rounds, two preliminary rounds and three qualifying rounds to get us down to the, the last 64 clubs that are contesting a, for the opportunity to get a place in the first round proper. So we all have good memories of non-league clubs in the first round and beyond. Well, that's the process you all, a lot of them, so I have to go through in order to get to uh, have a chance to play a league club in the first round. And uh, you've got a team like Stamford FC this season, who started way back at the beginning of August, have already won through five rounds and uh, have a chance to, with one more victory, they can get through to uh, get a chance to play a league team having already played so many games. Which, of course, could be a Sunderland or a Portsmouth or a Sheffield uh, Wednesday, couldn't it, this season in the first yeah, round? Yeah, some good uh, form, big teams, former winners that will come yeah. into the first round of draws on Sunday after the games on Saturday. So, yeah, there will be 32 non-league teams there really hoping to get the plum draw. Yeah, and I've looked at the uh, the latest round of games. We've had a round of fixtures in October already, which was, um, well, at, at the beginning of the month, really, uh, the, Saturday the 2nd, that weekend. Um not from a Sussex point of view, not much representation, unfortunately. Um, Horsham got through via, uh, I think, for a replay, and Hastings got through yes. uh, both sides winning away, actually, to, to do mm-hmm. so. Um, but um, it's some colourful names in there. I mean, this is the great thing about um, the FA Cup, seeing some of the names, if you've never heard of them before, and then you look through, and I mean, um, there's actually not too many hilariously good ones <laughs> at this round, but it's quite often you have. But we have got things like uh, Atherton Colliery, of course, which is a, is a great one. Uh, you've got the famous name of Corinthian Casuals. Um, unfortunately, uh, I think they might have... Oh, no, they did get through, didn't they? I think yeah, they won yeah, they a gate in, in the replay. First time in mm-hmm. almost 40 years. It's uh, yeah. a great season. Yeah. So, and then you've got the delights of Wimborne Town were involved, although they lost. Um, I'm trying to see if there's a... Oh, yeah, Ma- Mask. Is it Mask? United, oh, interesting names. I believe it's Mask. Uh, the classic Mask United. They're having a fantastic season, actually. They've uh, they've won through four rounds, played five games, scored twenty goals already, and are yet to concede. So that's yeah. a, a fantastic run for them. For them, I think they're a level eight club. So it's not as if they're one of the top teams in the non-league world. So they're having a fantastic time, and uh, yeah, they could make it all the way to the first round and, and be quite unusual to get there, having played so many and, and not even conceded. That'd be brilliant, yeah. And I always want to see the different new teams get into that first round. I think it, it just makes for even more, mm-hmm. of the, to use the cliche, the romance of the cup, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing is you always get contrast names as well as I call them. So, for example, Oxford United are well-known, but Oxford City, of course, yeah. are a well-known non-league club. I mean, this year I've noticed Norwich United. I've not actually heard of them yeah. before. Yeah, they're, <laughs> Another the best, one of, they're the best one they've ever had up to the third point right now. So it's been a yeah. And they lost to, to Stanford. They, yeah. they did, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of cities actually have a second, maybe even third teams that, that a lot of uh, fans won't know exist. And it is always good to see them. There's another one there, Peterborough Sports, who are in the fourth qualifying round. So you will all know Peterborough United, of course. Uh, yeah. But Peterborough Sports are, are, are as old a team as Peterborough United, maybe even older. 
um, but uh, they've never really had much run of a run in the FA Cup before. I think it's only the second time they've got this far. So no, no, nobody in the general world of football would have heard of them, and it would be great to see if they can get their name in the first round app. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said, the fourth qualifying round is this Saturday. Um, having a quick flick through, there's a few interesting fixtures. Um, actually, one that's probably a bit more high profile is Barnes against Boreham Wood, which is pretty much doorstep to doorstep, that one. Um, yeah. Don't have a traditional rivalry as such, no, but um, I could imagine that developing over time. They're in similar part of the, yeah. uh, well, they're in the same division, aren't they, at the, at the moment? Barnett, so. uh, Barnett are one of two clubs uh, who are taking part in the FA Cup for the 100th time this season. Oh, right. Uh, so Barnet yeah. and uh, Altingham are both uh, in it for the 100th time. Obviously, the competition going for 150 years. There's several that have had more, but it's still still a notable time when they're in their centenary campaign. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've got Bedford Sports at home to Kidderminster, another great name there. Bowers and Pitsy, which actually is uh, more prominent within non-league now. They're in the is- Ismian Prem, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I actually saw their game at um, uh, Bishop Stortford. Uh, the other week. Um, so I've, I've managed to tick one ground off there. <laughs> um, some other interesting ties in there. We won't go into too much detail. Bromsgrove against Grimsby, I think, is the one that's been picked for TV, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, does look an interesting tie. Bit of a giant killer. Well, it is, yeah. I mean, obviously, Grimsby, top of the National League. Uh, Bromsgrove Sporting are the um, Phoenix club of Bromsgrove Rovers. So we, we've probably come across Bromsgrove Rovers in the past. Uh, mm. had a few good cut runs. But... Uh, Bromsgrove Sporting have actually never even been beyond the first qualifying round before this season, so they're really in uncharted right. territory. Uh, so that should be a good game for for the TV to show. Yeah, definitely a good one to watch out for. Home of Corinthian Casuals, the aforementioned, they've got St Albans City at home. I've been to St Albans Ground actually, but haven't been to Corinthians until re- I looked it up. I didn't know where they even where that was in the country. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, I've only been there actually. Funny enough to watch some uh, watch Kingstonian play. Uh, I saw them in the FA Cup mm-hmm. last year at the Tolworth Ground, but I actually saw. Corinthian casuals take on St Albans two years yeah. ago in the FA Cup uh, in, in a replay which St Albans won. So uh, there'll be a bit of revenge on the mind as a Corinthian guy. So I hope they get to the first round. And the first round for them, you know, is terrific. They're the, they're the, what, what, they're the highest ranked amateur club in the, in the country. Um, That's another great stand. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fantastic to see an amateur club make it into, into the first round. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for Sussex interest, Horsham are at home to Woking. Hastings are away at Maidenhead. That'll be a tough game. Um, Peterborough Sports, you mentioned, they're away at Kings Lynn, who, of course, become more prominent recently, rising the ranks a bit through the divisions. Um, Marine, another f- familiar name from Jai Killing's recent past um, and cup runs. They're at home to the now Hollywoodized uh, Wrexham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Marine have had a fantastic time in the FA Cup recently. Of course, they played Tottenham last season in what was the, the, the game with the biggest gap in league status ever in a, a competitive <laughs> yes. match. Uh, yeah. What a fantastic game and a wonderful day for me and Shane. They couldn't have their fans, but they look like they may be on their way to, to it, getting on again. They've won, I think they've won 11 out of the last 12 FA Cup games, uh, yeah. which is a fantastic record for a non-league side to be able to do that. You know, you, you have to win, you normally have to win the FA Cup twice or almost win it twice in two consecutive <laughs> seasons to have that kind of record as a top flight team. Uh, so uh, Marine and the FA Cup seem to be going together at the moment. And uh, I wouldn't put it past them to uh, see Repsom off either, but uh, it will be a fantastic game for them, a great day out, and at least the fans will be able to see it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I read a bit of trivia about, I think Blackburn had have a record for something like the most consecutive, or they did have for yeah, most consecutive yeah. games won. I'm assuming they did win a cup to do that. Yeah, depends on, on whether you count a buy as a victory or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> um, one other fixture I've got to mention, Pontefract Colliery against yeah. Halifax. Great. Love it. That's that's great stuff. Actually, I should mention also, South Ender, of course, dropped out of the league for the first time ever. They're not having a good time of it in the National Prem. They've, yeah. I think they've lost three games in a row. They're right near the bottom, uh, which is not great news for them. And, I mean, really, you know, to, to really feel they've, where they've landed to now, they're, they've had to obviously go into this this qualifying round as well. They've got Chertsey Town at home, which, um, short of Chertsey going on a long cut run, they wouldn't have normally have played a team like that. They wouldn't. Um, I mean, this, this shows you the, the, the difference in uh, FA Cup histories uh, that can come together in one match. So, as you said, Southend haven't started at this level of the competition for more than 90-odd years. And uh, Chertsey have never been this fine a competition in, in 54 previous campaigns. So, you can see the chances of them ever having met in the competition is actually zero, if at all. <laughs> Um, so for them to get together in this fourth qualifying round, it, it really does uh, it does show you how how the FA Cup can can bring a bit of romance and history and stories together. Absolutely. Now, listeners will probably already be gleaning the fact that you have some pretty phenomenal knowledge of the <laughs> FA Cup, and, and no doubt, obviously, right in the book as well, people will have guessed that anyway. I mean, just to explain a bit of background with chatting off air, you're, you're a Leeds fan, although you don't tend to go to games anymore. Yes. Uh, your dad, dad's from Brighton, you were saying originally, yes. and, your, yeah. and, and thus your surname is, is from there as well. Yeah, yes. um, but um, you're generally going to a lot of these these grounds on a regular basis now, aren't you? Just um, I'm, I'm imagining you've racked up a huge number of of grounds attended and uh, clubs seen and so on. Well, I, I have a fair number, but in the grand scheme of what people call ground hopping world, I, I, I'm very low numbers. I'm only just over 200 different grounds, which uh, <laughs> sounds a lot, but it really isn't. These guys have, have been of thousands, four or five thousands uh, grounds, so. You know, I'm fledgling in compared to them. But yeah, I do. Uh, I don't get to see Leeds United anymore. It's a shame. Uh, you know, it's just too too expensive, too far away, uh, and it doesn't anymore feel like going to a football game. I like to remember what I used to go to back in the seventies and eighties and nineties when I was supporting them. Where you could just turn up almost on a day and decide to go and and have a great crack with your mates and all the rest of it. That just doesn't feel the same. I still want Leeds to win. I'd love them to be in the FA Cup final. Like I can't see it ever happening again, but I'd love them to do. Um, but yeah, I go around and uh, follow the FA Cup primarily throughout the season. Uh, that's, that takes me to far and wide. Uh, I've been up to um, the northwest this year and uh, to the northeast and down in the south. So yeah, I, I think I went to uh, Littlehampton, might be the newest club to you. Oh, yes. That uh, yeah. I went to this season. So yeah, I think I've done about 20 FA Cup games this year. <laughs> oh wow it's yeah, great isn't it a lot of people don't know even though it started and you've been to 20 games <laughs> but uh, my, last, my last game I was at uh, Kettering Town yeah uh, where they played Leamington and uh, it was a historic match in fact because uh, Kettering's two goals meant they became the first club ever to score more than 900 goals in the FA Cup and uh, whoa wonderful day I mean they've been they've been uh, they'd previously been uh, the top scoring club that had been usurped by Tottenham Hotspur last season. Um, and they were about six or seven behind before this year began. Uh, but they've managed to wrap their goals up and score twice on Tuesday night to reclaim the record. Brilliant. And they've, so they are, obviously, they're going through a lot of rounds 
year to year, mm-hmm. not always surfacing in the in the first round, second round proper mm-hmm. so often, but uh, it shows what can be done just through having good runs at least up to that level well, in fact, year to do, year. They do get to the first round quite a lot because one of the other records that they hold now is that they jointly with Yeovil Town, they've both made it to the first round most often as non-league teams. So they've both yeah. achieved that feat 51 times. So um, this round, they're both in the fourth qualifying round again this year. And uh, they could um, add to that number, but either one or both of them uh, could uh, set the record again for this season. Well, speaking of records and speaking of non-league and speaking of Spurs, uh, Spurs have an intriguing thing that I think pretty much nobody would have realised, apart from maybe historic history-based um, Spurs fans themselves, is that they won the FA Cup. I think they were the first team to win it as a non-league club. Yeah. Is that correct? I've read that somewhere. They are the only the only team to win the FA Cup as a non-league side. Yeah, they were Southern League side in in 1901 when they uh, won the cup against Sheffield United in a replay. Um, Southampton bizarrely had been in the final previous year as a non-league side and were in the final the following year as a non-league side. Uh, but Spurs are the only ones to have lifted it. But back in 1901, the uh, the Southern League was really as good a standard as the as the first division. Um, there just wasn't a, a Southern element outside of Arsenal to the football league at the time. And uh, you know, so yes, it's a it's a, a definite fact they are the only team from the non-league world to have won the FA Cup. Oh, that's brilliant. So I'm only researching for this that I saw that and uh, somewhere, and I thought, wow, that's that's, that's amazing. That seems yeah. insane. Um, I mean, it feels like a cheat now because Spurs are so famous, but obviously back then, much as they might have been a big side for their yeah. for their uh, division, possibly at the time, um, it's still an amazing fact. So uh, yeah, and I, I'd imagine. Your book that you've written, there's going to be tons of trivia like that, um, I'm guessing, from, from its title. Yes. Um, I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, but just, just going back, touching on what we mentioned earlier, you were saying about how fans are getting a bit more disenfranchised with mm. the, the top end of the game and the, the amount of money swelling around and all that stuff. The, the sort of the gap, the chasm that seems to be there between the players and, and those sort of centred around the players uh, against uh, yeah, the fan, the ordinary match-going fan. Um, what I'm, I'm guessing that's partly why you got into what you're doing, is it? Um, did, did you find it was a, a, a gradual thing or, yeah. or did you dive right in one year? No, it's partly to do with, with moving um, as well as anything else. So I moved into Oxfordshire, uh, not yeah. really noted for its hotbed of football history um, outside of uh, Oxford University, one of the top FA Cup clubs in its founding days. But um that made it quite difficult to go and watch Leeds United on a regular basis, um, not just the time, but the cost of doing so. But in fact, uh, going to top level football, even if it wasn't Leeds and I was just going to local top level football, it just felt harder and harder to uh, to just get to turn up and, and go to the game, to book it in advance, to plan it. Uh, you then when you arrived, you weren't really welcomed. You were just mm. hoarded into the ground and then you were charged the earth for drinks and food. So I started going to more local clubs at uh, lower level, um, playing uh, right down to uh, almost field level football. Um, I got involved in a, in a league there to help that, that sort of football out. But you could just turn up to the game. The mere fact you were there, you were valued for coming because you were seen as a, an extra bit of income that really made a big, big difference. You could talk to the players, the, the chairman, the, uh, the, the volunteers. The other fans, you could walk around the ground, go wherever you like in the ground, stand where you like, have a pint in your hand watching the watching the game. Yeah. And it just felt more like how it used to be. I used to live in, in Southport up in the, the northwest and we used to 
live about half a mile from the Hague Avenue. And on match day, we'd be like half past two and we'd just go, should we go down? Yeah, yeah, let's go. We'd just go. And you'd be there in 15 minutes and then you'd be in the ground with every point and ready to watch football. Uh, and mm. you don't get that kind of experience anymore. Uh, and, and I still love going to watch the league when you get the chance to do so. But it just isn't the same. Yeah, I think it, it probably is something to do with certain generations, but I'm certainly on, I'm 50 now and I'm sort of of that generation where I think, well, I will still go to the Albion games. Um, I do find a lot of attraction in going back to non-league football for those reasons you've just described. That's all the charm, isn't it? You've maybe got sort of a family of two or three generations running the T-bar. We noticed that when I went to a Salisbury game once. Yeah. And um, you've got, um, the, as you said, the change of going around wherever you want in the ground or the, the, so, the so-called sort of home end changes halfway through the game and the away end moves around as well. Uh, so you can just, you can follow the attacking side of what yes. your team's doing. It's, it's great. It's the charm. It's the fun. It's, as you said, it's more relaxed and it's more spontaneous. And I think more and more people are getting disenfranchised. And I think whether they do it alongside or instead of, watching their main team, to put it in parenthesis, um, I think more and more people are going to those games. I'm from Worthing. They're getting four-figure crowds now. They didn't get anywhere near that when I was in, in the area at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of friends of mine um, who were at the Dulwich Hamlet game at the weekend. They had a record crowd, a sellout crowd of 3,300, uh, which is incredible numbers. Um, somebody else, I think, said they went to a game with 3,100 there. Actually, that might have been Harrogate to a former non-league side but still we're talking along similar lines aren't we in terms of um, well, lower key football there was a game up in the northeast this week um, 11th level of the football pyramid who attracted yeah. just shy of a thousand fans to their game that's the incredible so that's step seven of non-league 11th lo- level yeah. overall you're saying yeah, yeah. So, that yeah. is incredible numbers. There is a bigger enthusiasm for the game in the northeast. They all the, at each level, the crowds tend to be higher on average versus the same levels around the country. But that to get a thousand people that are almost a thousand at a level seven, step seven game, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of step seven tend to get one man and his dog just going to watch. <laughs> so for that to get together that almost a thousand, yeah, outstanding. Yeah, I've got to ask as well. Actually, your ground hopping. Have you been over to Jersey yet? Have you seen the Jersey Bulls? No, I haven't. I haven't done Jersey yet. Um, a phenomenal <laughs> team in this season's FA Cup. Um, would be yeah. great to have gone to see them. Um, but they, they're the first Channel Islands club to have made it as far as the first qualifying round in the FA Cup. There, they won ten-one in their opening game, which only ten other clubs <laughs> have had a better debut game in the FA Cup. Uh, that's the kind of impact that they've made. Scored 24 goals. Um, probably, I'd say that in up to now, probably the, the, the team of the competition. I know, no doubt there'll be other non-league clubs and, and maybe even league clubs who make a stake for being team of the competition. But up till now, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to go and see them and experience you know, football on the islands there. Um, yeah. But, uh, but if you do go, I've, I've actually been to Jersey and um, they do a wicked crowd sandwich. Down by the by the harbour side somewhere there. Oh, that was good, and the and the ice cream is good too. Yeah, <laughs> so definitely worth going just for that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, of course, Jersey Bulls. Um, my uh, my local team, Worthing, from what well, the old local team anyway, Worthing, uh, South Shields, amongst those clubs, of course, who've struggled with COVID. And I, I wonder if I, have you been able to glean much from how teams have coped with that period? Because that's obviously been particularly trying for a, a lot of clubs who are on modest means. Um, 
I don't know if when it's that modest, whether it's actually affects it so much in a funny sort of way. Maybe there's less to rely on uh, in terms yeah. of core structure. I'm, I'm not. I'm not an expert on, on following what's happened in the impact of COVID and the lower level, but there has been um, a lot of clubs struggling. But at the same time, interestingly, post COVID, there's been a resurgence of club developments, and I think, and this is just from my observations. It's not nothing to do with any research, but I get a sense that uh, quite a few clubs have lost some players, and as and players are sort of waterfall cascaded down the pyramid. And mm. we're seeing a player, more players available at different levels. And actually, I do, I do monitor, um, and I have monitored, the number of Saturday men's teams that there are in the country throughout over time. And there had been a steady decline about up until about 2020. There's been a steady decline of about 5% of clubs disappearing every year on average. But in the last two years, there's actually been an increase in the number of clubs. Now, whether that means there's more players playing or not, I'm not sure. It might just mean that the squad depths are smaller and uh, we might find that these clubs only live for a short time and then disappear as quickly as they were founded. Uh, But there's definitely um, been a sort of a dip and a levelling out and a turn up in terms of increasing number of Saturday men's teams, first teams football. Yeah, well, that's all interesting, isn't it? Because it's uh, for anyone that's not following it directly, it's a... It's an unknown world and it's mm. you, you fear the worst, but actually it sounds like there's some promising signs now, which is great. Um, yeah, so in terms of the books, so you've, you've written the book, by the way, if anyone's after that, just to repeat, it's called FA Cup 150, an official, unofficial cornucopia of FA Cup facts and stats, brackets, FA Cup 150, and not I think that's just the thing from um, Amazon. They're just mentioning your your Twitter thing. Um, it's available in all good bookshops, I'm sure. Or yeah, not some, yet. Some I'd like it to not be, yet. Where it is available in bookshops, they are good ones. Um, yeah. isn't, uh, unfortunately, it's only really available online finally at the moment. Okay. Um, I'm still working with the right waterstones to get it into there. Um, so you can get it online from Amazon, um, FA Cup 150, just search for that, should come up, the only book there. Uh, you can get it online directly from my website, um, facfactfile.co.uk forward slash shop. Um, the book is £15, but it will obviously be some postage, unfortunately. Uh, on top of that, so for, just shy of four pound on postage, but fifteen pounds, I think, not bad value for money. It equates to I think one pound per decade, so that's pretty pretty good value for money. I would say. Not bad, is it? Not yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to getting hold of a copy. Definitely, I'll, I'll be looking to get that. Recommend it um, based on uh, essentially what you've been saying, and certainly also from your contributions on the non-league. Uh, football podcast which I listened to as well which is how I heard about you initially and then followed you on Twitter which is on at FA Cup Fact File I think isn't it your Twitter handle by the way mm-hmm. yeah um, but that's that's good your contributions on there are always interesting as well um, in terms of your contributions to the book what you've put into the book or, or indeed anything you haven't included in the book have you got any particular favorite little bits of trivia and stats apart from what you've already quoted which is already great but anything else that's um your, your particular favorites well i'm always asked what's my favorite stat and it's uh, it's almost like saying <laughs> what's my favorite child and it's not really fair to <laughs> uh, I, I do like the quirky stuff you know i do like um Strange names and, and lengths of names like Wolverhampton Wanderers have the longest name of any club that's won the FA Cup. Um, I like the fact that uh, some clubs can have multiple weird records, like Dutch Hamlet, you, you mentioned those earlier. Well, they, they've got three weird records that you might not have even think about would be a record, but so they 
they were involved in the highest scoring aggregate one goal victory. So they won eight, seven in, in FA Cup game. That's the highest, most number of goals where the team has only won one beat St. Albans eight, seven. And in that match, the St. Albans goal scorers was just one player, um, a guy called Wilfred Billy Minter, who scored seven goals, but yet still ended up on the losing side. Um, so that's, that's quite a well-known stat. But weirdly, Dutch Hamlet are also the only, the only club to have been involved in a seven-all draw in the FA Cup, which is the <laughs> highest, highest level of draw. So that was against yeah. Wildstone uh, a couple of years prior to the uh, St. Albans game. Um, so they're the only team to have conceded seven goals twice and not lost in either of those two games. And they went on to win the replay against Wildstone. So that, uh, that was a good run. But the other one they had, and this is one they don't like to pick up too much because I know I get it in, in the neck uh, whenever I mention it, but they've been to the first round proper 15 times but have failed yet to register a win in the proper rounds of the competition. And that's oh. the club that has been that far. Um, so, uh, you know, that's three distinct records that maybe aren't really on anyone's radar and what is a record and you think mm. about most wins, most goals, etc. But it's nice to be able to dive in and find that a club can can have its its moment in the limelight, if you like. And that's what my FA Cup 150 book is all about, is trying to give as much prominence to the lower level clubs as it does to the top flight Premier teams. So you've got all your stats there about who's the biggest team in the competition, who's won it the most, what the wins were. But then I delve right down into the weird and wonderful world of, of non-league and uh, and lower level football team. Hmm. Um, one of the stats I like, it's, it's a pretty obvious one as well, is uh, about record wins in the final. And, and of course, unfortunately, Barry have, have fallen on uh, hmm. into horrendous recent um, times, um, effectively wound up and a new club formed. But the original Barry was, uh, did hold the record for a very large number of years. 1903, they beat Derby County, who seem to have a few of these kind of <laughs> unwanted records, don't yeah. they? The lowest Premier League points total being another. Um, 6-0, wasn't it? And which yeah. got equal by the team that um, may not have beaten us if Kyle Walker hadn't been sent <laughs> off um, in the semi-final quite recently. Man City, of course, beating Watford 6-0 to equal yes. that. Um, longest FA Cup tie, I've, I've read somewhere else, some other yeah. trivia, lasting five games, is that correct? With Stoke yeah, yeah. No, and also no. Barry again? Five, five replays. No, oh, five this, replays. This is Alf, Alf Church versus um, Oxford City. You mentioned Oxford City before. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they played, uh, I think they played six times in, in the uh, fourth qualifying round. Um, yeah. Space of less than two weeks. And Alf Church then had to play their first round match two days after they played the sixth game with me uh, in the first one, no surprise, but beaten. Um, but yeah, so that's the most tight, most games to be played in one one round of matches. Yeah, yeah. Another one I've got from elsewhere: West Brom, the first team to win the FA Cup with a completely English-born team in 1888. I don't know if that's true. Again, I'm reading this from a random yeah, that, website. That, that sounds right. Yeah, from memory, I've got that written down, but I feel it feels correct. Yeah, yeah. And Ashley Cole, I think, still. Record number of wins, winners medal seven, I think, seven, unless that's seven. been overtaken. Yeah, yeah, seven. yeah so, so some interesting stats there. Plenty more, of course, in terms of in your book. There's going to be loads in there. And I look forward to that, definitely. Um, just a quick word on your opinion of the FA Cup in general. In terms of the getting rid of uh, replays and whether there's any you know, any other debates about the format of the tournament as a whole. Is it, have you got any opinions where you're either happy with something, think something should be done that hasn't been done yet, or think something should be reversed? 
I think the, the, the biggest issue is that the FA Cup has not has had, had changes made to it that have not been beneficial for the FA Cup. And there have been changes that have been made to it for other reasons rather than for the FA Cup. And um, it sort of puts puts you back out if you if you get a, a, if you get changes made that aren't helping the competition. Uh, there's a the, the replays is a classic one. I understand why people think replays should go, but to, for them to go because of fixture congestion is laughable. Um, mm. it's, the FA Cup is replays are not the reason for fixture congestion. They're, they're the full guy. The fixture congestion is, is for coming from the Champions League. It's coming from I need 19 games currently, and maybe even more now that they've reformatted it, if you wanted to win that tournament. Well, in the FA Cup, you know, the most any team any, ever plays is um, 12 games. If, if you had had four draws and, and then two games in the final and win it. Uh, so it's ridiculous. Um, I don't like the idea of putting FA Cup games in midweek. Uh, as a, you know, I know people love the, the, the under the lights and under light replays are fantastic, but I think you know the FA Cup historically used to take precedence over everything. So if you had a if you're in the FA Cup, your league game had to get moved, um, and now it feels like it's being shunted around. And I don't think enough is done to protect the FA Cup. And what I think there's a big problem in that it's the it's the owners of clubs who have no value for the competition because it doesn't earn them any money. And because of that, the they managers are sort of having to reflect their choices of team selection uh, because of what uh, the owners uh, focus on. But if you ask players, if you ask fans of clubs, do you want to win the FA Cup? Oh, yeah, the answer is definitely we want to win the FA Cup. It doesn't matter if you're a Man United fan or if you're a fan of a lower level club. Winning the FA Cup still holds a lot of value and it does for the players as well. And it's really frustrating that the club's owners, and I think you should really distinguish between the two, club owners and clubs are not the same thing. And I think we make a big mistake in the media in particular, we talk about the clubs as if they're one unit, but it's actually club owners, not the club. The clubs that fans know of, the fans believe of the club is the name, um, but not the club owners. But it's the club owners that are driving decisions um, based on money. Um, to uh, to not really put some focus behind the FA Cup, and the reason why the big teams keep winning it is is because they have the squads that enable them to play second string teams in the third and fourth, and it's still are stronger than their opposition, and they should get through. And it's only when you get to the quarterfinals, semifinals, you start to see them playing their first teams because you know it still has a lot of prestige. And, you know, you ask Leicester City fans; they won the FA Cup last year, and the only three or four years ago, and yeah. I, from what I get a sense of talking to Leicester City fans that I've spoken to, the FA Cup has a bigger value than having won the league. Oh, wow. You know, and, that, and I'm sure that's not for every single one, but the, ones, the, the overarching sense I get is that, that that FA Cup victory meant more than winning the league four years previously. And I think that might be a legacy of the fact they've been in so many finals and never won it, and that had been hanging over them. But it's a great day out, isn't it, the FA Cup final? Uh, for teams and so Wigan Athletic I know this for certain but the fans of Wigan you ask them lose that final but stay up in the Premier League which would you prefer hmm. they'd rather win the final and go down than lose the final and stay in the Premier League so the yeah. FA Cup has a lot of prestige in the eyes of fans and it still has a lot of prestige in the eyes of the players it's just unfortunately hmm. the clubs who are influencing the decisions don't see it as important and I don't think there's been enough 
in the world of football to protect it when it's been asked to change. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a matter of heritage, isn't it? Protecting heritage. We do it with certain buildings. We do it with certain um, other elements of culture and society over here. But with that, I think no. it's something that needs more attention, I, I think. Um, of course, what we don't want to do, by the way, is, is get relegated and miss the FA Cup <laughs> final as well, which, of course, yes. is what we did on our only appearance. One of Brighton's <laughs> first records that they set, that was a very uh, yeah. unfortunate record. But, you know, yeah. it was unlucky. We all know the story of Smith was yeah. score. Uh, yeah, he's been, he's been pulled apart over that one a number yeah, of times, yeah. poor old Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Brighton have uh, a couple of other uh, records in the FA Cup that you may not be aware of. If heart. it's about helicopters, I, I could say we're probably first <laughs> team to turn up in a helicopter. No, this is <laughs> I'm guessing that's not what you're going to say. More, more goes back a bit further, but Brighton, you may not know, but they once forgot to enter. They forgot to submit <laughs> their entry. <laughs> and when teams have done that in the past, they've sort of said, oh, well, we just won't take part. But Brighton decided that they would still take part and had to start in the swimming round back in 1932. Uh, and they got themselves all the way through to the fourth round that year. So they, they played in nine rounds in total, which is the joint equal amount of rounds any club has ever played in. And they scored 32 goals, uh, which is pretty high because you, know, mm. you don't really get that many anyway. But actually, Brighton had actually beaten 32 goals once before back in 1902, three seasons, I think their second every year. Uh, and that year, they were scoring for fun anyway, and they scored 34 goals in total. And they are the only club in FA Cup history to have scored more than 30 goals twice in a single oh. campaign. So oh, great. I like that stat. If any of you other Brighton fans knew that, I'd be very surprised. Uh, but it is uh, quite quite a badge of honour, I think. So, yeah. I'll ask around. I know, I know a few ultra geeks who may, who may know that, but probably not. They're not entering, possibly. They might know about that. So I'll have to ask around for a couple of the aficionados on that subject um but no that's some, some great stats i really like that that's that's great phil cheers um in terms of the um one, one thing about sort of the, with with the cup as well one thing that does bug me i was, I was talking about how i like the earlier rounds the, the earlier proper rounds as opposed to the later rounds i just find it boring just watching another whether i'm brighton or in the prem or not i get bored of seeing other premier league versus Premier League games. And unfortunately, that's one of the things with the scheduling, isn't it? Um, I guess you can understand it a little bit from the BBC's point of view, because when they've got coverage, they don't get to see 90 minute, to have full 90 minute coverage of a Premier League v Premier League game mm. um, in terms of, sorry, Premier League v Premier League club uh, fixture. So you can sort of understand that. But when it's also banged onto BT or Sky or wherever it might be at the time that's got the other rights, uh, it's, it's disappointing, isn't it? I don't really want to see Everton at home to Man United <laughs> or something but, like that. It's just boring. It's a problem, yeah. They, they, they've got a catch of the, the TV audience that they see that they've got to appeal to. And the romance of the cup is very simple. Big team being up yeah. against it against a little team. Uh, yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, is that what the people outside the UK want to watch? And the TV companies are scheduling their choices based upon their total audience, of which the majority are not based on yeah. And they won't care about uh, a small team taking on a giant. Uh, they'll, they'll love the story if they don't support the team, but for watching it, it's not in their interest. Bank. They want to see Liverpool, the United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City. That's what they want to see. So, yeah, it's something I've also complained to the BBC directly about and get the same response every time I do you know, about their selections, because these clubs will get plenty of coverage later on in the competition and in other means. But you're right, the BBC 
haven't got the chance to show such high profile teams uh, to their audience live um, and and it grabs an audience for them so you know I, I don't obviously I don't think it's any more what people would watch Liverpool or United that I would watch say Liverpool versus a, a first or second division uh, EFL team mm. um, but unfortunately the decision makers uh, have got their eyes on the financial side of, of the things and again that that rules it's uh, I have a hashtag it's called uh, money first football nowhere and uh, that's one of the ones I use to to describe the decisions about what choices they make for showing the early rounds of the FA Cup. Oh, look out for that, guys. Definitely keep an eye out on Twitter, and it's FA Cup Fact File, isn't it? Your um, your Twitter handle as well to keep an eye out on that too, for Phil. Um, in terms of one thing, to be fair with the BBC, actually they do do the um the, the red button stuff, don't they? So you're seeing some very, mm. very lower key games, admittedly with rudimentary camera work, no, but, camera it's settings, but, yeah. but it's good to see that, isn't it? I think it is. They they, they started that. Uh, I was there the very first game just fortuitous that they did a few years ago up at Litherland. And uh, yeah, it has had a good response. Um, they had a single camera, they had a single commentator, and they had um, a direct access for people tweeting in to send their messages. And you could, you know, when it was a dull moment in the game, you could just throw out some uh, hellos. And I think it works very well. I think they're in danger actually now. They're, they're still doing a single camera work, but they're bringing in two commentators and, and uh, that's trying to get it closer to how they might present it uh, later on. But it's good that they're doing it. Um, long may they do it. I think the non-league side need that exposure. I think the game needs that exposure, but people yeah. need to be more aware that there's all these games going on in not just in the FA Cup, but in the country week on week out. It's a it's a, a world of football that uh, if you get to go and have a look at it live, you, you, you fall in love with it quite quickly. Yeah, and I mean the magic of the cup to use another cliche is for small small clubs. The chance to have their team covered in any way at all is more than exciting, isn't it? It's exhilarating to to have and to have their little moment, uh, even if it's just once in a lifetime, is great. Um, for any Albion fans listening or any other fans of um, other clubs listening to this podcast, um, if you aren't going to a game, I am unfortunately this weekend. Well, I say unfortunately, it depends on the result. I'm going to Norwich away. But um, for anyone that's um, that's not going to a game, I, I would urge them to check out certainly the FA Cup games and indeed any non-league football as well. Um, this weekend, there's games up and down the country. It's all. Um, you know, it's all available online to to, to look up grounds. And you, as, as you said, you can make a decision on the day and just pop along to a ground. Um, well worth it. Definitely recommend it. I'm sure you would as well, Phil. Mm. Um, out of interest, which game are you going to this weekend? Uh, I am trying to get to the Pontifact Collins game. Uh, I think they've got a lot on their plate, uh, given that it's their biggest ever game and they're up against uh, Yorkshire rivals, Halifax. Uh, so demand is very high. So... Uh, it's not confirmed, but that's where I'm hoping to be. Yeah, excellent. And just to go over again, the book is uh, the FA Cup 150. It's 150 years of the FA Cup, which is uh, incredible. A great year for it. Yeah, um, it's, it's celebrating the uh, the whole point of the book is to celebrate the 150th anniversary. It's, uh, it's facts and stats, and, and it's designed in a way to be represented as top 150 lists. Um, could, could be top 150 goal scorers, winners, longest names, um, strange quirks of fate, whatever it might be, there's a whole host of different uh, 150 lists that some you'd expect and some that you wouldn't. And also, for every one of those 150 lists, there is actually a list that goes all the way down to the three and a half thousand clubs that have ever taken part in the competition. 
And uh, I also offer that as a, a service online that you can get access to the whole list of it. You know, if you want to know what the total top two and a half thousand clubs in the 21st century were, for instance, you can get hold of that uh, via email as well. So the book is there uh, as a physical format, but it's restricted um, in terms of how much you can put in it. Uh, so yeah. the internet obviously is, is uh, limitless. And uh, so for everyone on those lists, I do have the records all the way down to the last lowest teams. Fantastic. It certainly must be a labour of love. Um, I urge everyone to get it. As you said, it's on Amazon. And just to quickly give that website address yeah, again, yeah. actually, Phil. So the website is where I'd like you to buy it from because uh, uh, they don't charge as much as uh, Amazon do to society. Yes. But unfortunately, <laughs> they do, do it by PayPal on, on my website, uh, which is facupfactfile.co.uk forward slash shop. Um, but if you wanted to buy it uh, using the traditional credit card means, then Amazon is the place to go for that. Excellent. So we've got all that. We've got the Twitter details. And just to remind you, you can also hear Phil intermittently appearing on uh, the football and on the non-league football show non-league. as well, which is, and, uh, uh, yeah, which is a I weekly have, thing. And I have a column in the non-league paper as well, ah. doing uh, previews of both the FA Cup and the FA Vars uh, in the start on the Sunday before each of those rounds. Uh, wow, blimey, you're, you're getting everywhere, Phil. <laughs> well, I'm trying to, trying to uh, get my name out there. Um, uh, hopefully there's enough interest in what I do um, yeah. to sustain it. Um, but yeah, that, so the, book's, uh, the book is um, a culmination of, of my efforts. It's really been a focal point of the last five years to get it to this point. Um, when all of that has been on the back of establishing what I do through FA Cup Fat File and getting onto things like the non-league show and having enough articles in the column in the non-league paper. Also, you know, as a, a, a young boy who wanted to play in the FA Cup final, uh, as most young boys uh, of my era did anyway, only to find quite soon that it was never going to happen because the skills weren't good enough, I actually got my stats into the 2016 FA Cup final programme for the first time and have had them in there every year since. Uh, so that is my equivalent of being in an FA Cup final and uh, or, you know, you could say that I've achieved my boyhood dream. Wonderful. Great. Phil, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on and uh, once again, I urge everyone to go and check out the FA Cup this weekend if you're not going to Norwich or elsewhere already. Um, and um, thank you for joining us. In part two, we're going to be talking to Albion fan and actor Robert Bathurst. But uh, thanks again to you, Phil. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Cheers, Austin. So I'm now joined by actor Robert Bathurst, who is a Brighton fan. Welcome to the show, Robert. How are you? Thanks, Russell. Yeah, good to talk to you. Excellent. Good, good. Um, yes, I've got you on because I um, discovered when I was watching Cold Feet, um, actually quite a few years after it came out, ironically, I, I, I didn't follow it at the time and, and caught up with it retrospectively. Um, but I discovered at some point during watching that that you were an Albion fan, which is uh, intriguing. And I thought, oh, great, I've got to get you on the show. So, so thanks for joining us. Um, I'll ask you about your Albion supporting history in a moment, I guess. But first of all, um, just to explain to anyone who doesn't know or, or a little bit more about people that do know about you, um, tell us about your, um, your career, because you were born in, um, in what's now Ghana. Um, don't remember that. I'm imagining having only been there two years, but then yes. brought up in Ireland 
and you came through sort of acting kind of angles, didn't you, to get into into the vocation you're doing now? Is that right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, good breeze through several years of uh, of life. Absolutely, no, it's uh, you can elaborate by the way if you want on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, yeah. So I, I came to England when I was ten. Um, uh, we were in Ireland from there. We were, lived in Essex, and um, my father took me to uh, Tottenham one week and Arsenal the next. I had no idea about um, about much about football, although I knew I uh, liked the look of it. And then um, I thought it's great. We've got two local teams, <laughs> so I started my career of football age ten, thinking, "Well, oh, it's great. I've got two local teams, Tottenham and Arsenal. How lovely!" Um, and of course, I had to sort of sort of, sort of choose between the two. But um, uh, yeah, no, I remember yeah going to see George Best and all that, and uh, in uh, at Highbury, and uh, was hooked ever since. Wow, so you've seen you've seen George Best play? I'm, I've got to say, I'm jealous now straight away with that one. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe ask you who you think your favourite player you've seen live is. Um, you might have already spoiled that one now, possibly. Well, uh, well, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it was, it was, he was, it was, that was in whenever it was, 1967, I think. Mm. And uh, yeah, now I remember Bob, asked, Bob Wilson taking uh, taking the ball off his feet. He wasn't you know, best tried to go around him. Um, but uh, no, it's really exciting. And I, I mean, I adored, I adored everything about football and um, used to get Shoot magazine and uh, with all, uh, you're probably too young to know this, but uh, uh, all those little sort of cardboard tabs that uh, the f- remake the. Uh, the first division uh, table every week and uh no i was, I was oh, completely yeah. hooked on it for, for, for sort of ladders for weren't they lad exactly that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and Little then you ladders. used to get the the centerfold spread you used to start the one week it would uh would be the the socks and the uh <laughs> the boots of somebody and then the next week it would you'd reveal the midriff and then on the the the, the third week and to ensure you bought the magazine <laughs> you got who's who it was and so these players would slowly reveal, and you'd end up with a poster, sort of um, three centerfolds high. Yes, absolutely. That's that's fair enough. Um, so you'd you'd come, for, as I said, from um, from Ireland, um, went to school, as I understand it, in Sussex, um, Worth Abbey School, isn't it? Um, which that's is, right. Yeah, Crawley. Yeah. Yeah, which apparently is one of I was reading up. Apparently, it's one of three Benedictine independent schools, um, along with. Ampleforth and Downside. Um, uh, one of our listeners, um, Raymond the Gent, is uh, a, is an Ampleforth. Um, old boy, so he'll be interested to hear this, I'm sure. Yeah, but, uh, and he what, survived what it too. That's good. Uh, worth, yeah, he survived, <laughs> worth, yeah. I enjoyed, enjoyed it very much. I mean, uh, I'd been at school in Ireland before that. Mm. I've been taught by nuns in Ireland and then monks in uh, in Sussex. <laughs> so, so uh, but uh, and at a couple of other schools in between. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, I'd been to a, a fairly sort of robust, shall we say, prep school in Ireland um, for the previous uh, couple of years, and so um, Worth seemed relatively like a holiday camp. I tell you. And was it, where was your love for acting started? Was that in right back in Ireland when you were at school there, or did it come at Worth School? Well, I, I was I was talking to a, um, a someone everybody knows who's in a lot of uh, comedy shows, and I was talking to her about it. And actors don't normally sort of address this subject, but I did. I did say to her, "When did it start for you? When were you? When did you sort of get the?" get the um itch to, to to do this sort of thing she said oh it was getting my first laugh in the school play she said and i think that's absolutely that's probably a common factor in a lot of um acting careers it was when you when you when you are at school and you do a show and and you think oh blimey, this is this is this is exciting and that laugh was interesting to you know, really fun to play with um yeah. and uh, you think well maybe i can do this so uh, yeah probably about 13 i started uh, thinking along those lines 
Yeah, I think there's this adrenaline rush, isn't there, that, that comes with it. And it's not something I've ever done, so I can't really speak firsthand. But it, it seems seems that that is a driving force. It also provides, of course, a lot of uh, anxiety and nerves, doesn't it? Did you, did you ever get stage fright? Because you've done a lot of theatre as well, haven't you, through the yeah, years? Yeah, I do theatre. Yeah, I do. Mm. I mean, when, uh, <laughs> when the government allows, I do theatre. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, no, sure. I mean, you, 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 I mean, without overplaying it, but you... Um, you you walk on on a first night uh, in front of an audience for the first time, and you think, "Crikey, who needs to do bungee, bungee jumping?" You know, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's very very um, um, temple pumping, shall we say? And um, but so yeah, it's sort of nerves. It's sort of good nerves. There's good nerves and bad nerves, and uh, you try and channel it into good nerves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the background as well, just going on with that, um, you went to Cambridge, didn't you, and, and read law, but um, we're in footlights. And according to Wikipedia, of course, that font of all knowledge, mm-hmm. it's saying you were you were there at the time of Hugh Laurie and um, uh, Emma Thompson. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we did. We did, uh, took a footlight show to Australia and uh, toured it around and toured around the country. And we did, uh, uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of shows together. And uh, yeah, there's all sorts of people uh, at university at that time, and some of them went into the business, and some of them I still keep bumping into. Hmm. In terms of um, fame or notoriety, I think you're probably best known for um, for David from Cold Feet, um, David Marsden, I think this isn't a character's name, um, who's described as sort of a pompous character, isn't he? Um, a bit stuck up. <laughs> how did you find? How did you find playing that? Because I, I found that your character pretty enjoyable in the series. Um, I, I must say, by the way, I haven't seen the the reprised um, period. Mm. You know, for the last four seasons, but I saw the original five series. Um, yeah, how did you find that? Anyway, was that um, a good character to play? Enjoyable? Yeah, it was. I mean, he, it, remembering when it started, we we got the uh, first script, the the pilot script in 1996. Um, so it was a sort of post Thatcher sort of time um and and um david was he sort of represented the sort of um, sort of thatcherite um hard nut you know sort of um uh emotionally not very uh, evolved <laughs> sort of character um and uh i yeah i did i did enjoy playing him i didn't yeah i wasn't sure if it would, if it would last and uh and certainly as far as david's concerned you just think well you can't just play that the whole time you've got to find sort of chinks of humanity in there along the way and th- those were written by Mike Bullen and uh, the character developed really well I mean the pilot was uh, Jimmy and Helen's story really it was the um, uh, Adam and Rachel story uh, mm-hmm. and the other characters were sort of satellite but uh, Mike Bullen sort of fleshed out the other characters and it became a sort of an ensemble of six and uh, now I love playing David and uh, he, was, he was given sort of complicated complicated things to do so um, yes you could say he was sort of he was a type but you try and um you try and find sort of grace notes along the way. Absolutely, yeah. And um, as we said, the five series initially, this was the 90s, wasn't it? And then it eventually got reprised, I think it was 2016, wasn't it, for another four series, as it turned out. Um, how did you find that, going back, revisiting a role so much later on when everyone thought it wasn't going to happen, you told it wasn't going to happen, and suddenly it did? How, how was that? Well, it's, it's extraordinary, really, because it was yeah, 13 years off, um, mm. and every week somebody would say, "It's not going to be any more," and you'd say, "No, no, it was of its time. You know, it's, it's very much uh, you know, to reheat the souffle, blah blah blah." And um, and then ITV said, uh, "Well, Downton's finishing. We need something else for Sunday night." And um, 
and uh, we got the nod. And so, yeah, we did four more um, after a 13 year gap, which actually, I mean, the, the gap made the, 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 the second iteration of it, um, I think, richer because we were people could remember what we were like in our callow youth. And then and then you see how how it is when you get older. And I think a lot of people sort of identified perhaps with that. Um, a lot of people used to tell me that in the first lot they they courted during during that time, and they were sort of um, uh, sort of starting their relationship at about the time than when Colfield was going in, in its early days, and um, and they, they they identified with it with it greatly as uh, as to see how the passage of time had scarred us. Hmm. Um, and speak, you mentioned Downton Abbey there. I think amongst many other cameo roles and smaller roles you've played on screen. Uh, you popped up on that apparently as well, which I, I've forgotten about. Um, no, I did three, I three, three, three episodes of uh, three yeah. series. I was involved in three series of it um, on and off, um, mm. or two two series under Christmas. But it was, um, yeah, no, I was I was the uh, the neighbour um, and ended up um, uh, getting engaged to one of them, uh, Edith, Lady Edith, and uh, then jilted her at the altar. And uh, yes, uh, that's and, right. Yes, uh, yeah. so uh, yeah, no, uh, I went off into the distance after that. <laughs> you can't <laughs> <laughs> jolting people, honestly. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you are probably known uh, for a lot of um, some a lot of TV work bits, bits and pieces there, but it, probably more theatre, would you say? And, and what, what, what have been the key roles for you? Do, do you think from the stage? Well, I've done uh, a lot of theatre as well, and um, mm. I, you know, I, I did. Um, but when the most possibly, if you ask me, what is the most enjoyable, enjoyable job? I've got a couple, but I mean, uh, I did uh, King Charles III in Chicago uh, about three or four years ago, four years ago, um, which was a um, which was the most enjoyable job I've ever done. Well, perhaps in in on in theatre, and uh, I loved it. I adored Chicago, and uh, I loved the play, and um, I really enjoyed working with American actors. Uh, I've also put on my own thing, which is um, had a was a truncated by the current. <laughs> current thing so it's sort of unfinished business but i got a, a two-hander with cartoon animation um and it's in verse and it's better than it sounds and it was called love loss and chianti and it was going really well when uh, the pandemic struck so uh, as i say it's unfinished business so i'm i was hoping to take it to festivals in australia in january february march but uh, obviously um, things aren't open there so uh, i'll do it probably in 23 and uh, take it there then but um, yeah, no, I do. I do have lots of sort of West Endy stuff and um, touring and uh, mm. shows as well as all the telly. Mm. Um, your most recent stuff that, that what's just about to come out, we'll talk about in a moment. It's a horse racing theme, isn't it? Um, we'll come back to that at the end of the um, of the interview. But um, just to steer things back to the football. So, so I'm assuming because you you came to Worth in Sussex. Um, to study there i'm assuming that's where the albion connection came in and somewhere or other is that right not strictly i mean i did go to the goldstones when when i was there hmm. and uh, we were and i i like going to matches wherever i am um wherever i'm working hmm. i'll always try and uh, find time if it's possible uh, to get to, to see a match um, but no my um interest in the albion was um inspired when i moved to sussex and uh, a friend who's a season ticket holder, he took me uh, to see Gus's first game at the uh, with Dean. Um, that must have been uh, 2009 or so, around there. And uh, and I, I loved it. I mean, my, my interest in, in the game had sustained, but my sort of passion for it had waned a bit, really, because I, I just, um, I, I, the whole money thing, I'm afraid. I mean, I used to, I used to have a very romantic 
idea of of what um, football was <laughs> and uh, when I was nine ten eleven twelve you know in my teens and I, mm. it was it was so exciting but it was when when it or when the headlines became all about money um and um Arsenal started putting adverts up on their beautiful stucco um uh, stadium uh yeah I, but that was too purist an attitude I know but um it sort of lost a lot of the romance for me and um much as I always interested in the game and, and followed it and went to see games wherever I wherever I am, it wasn't until I came down here and I felt that the Albion represented the sort of the spirit of the, the game that I had so missed um, um, from for many years, and uh, to see them at the Withy and to see them play, to see them see the the, the support, um, and and the fact that I was now living within range of of uh, Brighton. Um, meant that uh, I started uh, following the Albion, and um, and my mood for every weekend was entirely dictated as to how Albion are doing. Oh yes, I think we're all familiar with that one, aren't mm-hmm. we? Oh, it's uh, terrible how much it affects us, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, games, but that's a great era to to get into it in more detail. I think certainly that Gus era. I think mm-hmm. nobody would disagree with that. Um, so we finally went back to playing a better brand of football that we done in a previous era but not for a while and mm-hmm. some great games um and as you said everyone seems to have a, a sort of like a, a a strange affection a lingering affection for the wood team don't they i think even if they've um um they've kind of moaned about it the whole way through the time they were there you know, getting soaked on every week it seemed to rain every week but, <laughs> but, but what was your high what was your favorite five games getting soaked at the uh at the wood dean list them but, uh, but you know the, I mean, the, the sort of ramshackle quality of it, and the, and the track, yeah. and and the, the yeah, the poor guys having to sort of uh, do it in a porter cabin, and and uh, so, uh, but but uh, the, but it was it was it was a great spirit, and and it was mm. precisely what I what I love about football, and have loved about football when I was when I was small. Mm. Do, and, do you have uh, a particular? And, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say, do you have a particular memory or match that's of? Um, a special um, fondness um, from well, that era. From well, that I mean, I um, it was the players really. I sort of uh, enjoyed, you know, and um, sort of you know, Glenn Murray, Adam Nellabd, you know, that lot. And and uh, and and I love the through line of Lewis Dunk. I just up to today. I, I love the fact that he joined the club way before I I uh, got uh, attached to the Albion. But you know, the fact that there is this guy who's been who's been with the Albion since I think two thousand and three. I think he was there with the um um when he was uh, in the under twelves or something like that. And there's mm. that sort of continuity and that sort of, and I and I love that about players who 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 are sort of one team. I know he's been with um Wimbledon before that, but but uh, one team one team players mm. and, and that sort of spirit. That's sort of, I think the fans attached themselves very much to those sort of players, um, but they, yeah, there was it was a, there was all through um, you know later on you know with Will Buckley and Kazenglu Alua and anti knockout in the championship and so forth. I th- um, there were so many players to to really just enjoy and uh, who were, were really exciting. And Lewis Dunk, you mentioned, has just um, made a two landmark past and he's, he's got 350 games for the Albion that's with the senior mm. team obviously he's been with us a lot longer than that would mm. suggest but 350 games is a great landmark and 150 Premier League games which we think is probably the most of any Albion player for that for the Premier League era of the top right. five football um, yeah, yeah. which is a you know, great great achievement and long mm. may it continue yeah, um, but you're right we've had this embodiment of 
youth coming through, even even when we weren't so successful with the academy. There's, there's been at least some players coming through even then, and Lewis is, is the epitome of that, really, isn't mm, he? Mm, in terms of the Amex, then, after after Woodin, um, I don't know if you had a chance to get, to, because I know you can't go to games very often, but um, did you get to go to many games at the Amex so far? And how I've have you been, found that? I've been, I mean, I mean, I follow the follow the matches every every weekend, and but I am what uh, half man half biscuit calls a Commodore supporter, and it's once, twice, three times a season, you know that. <laughs> and, and it's um, so, but I, I I go, yeah, I I go occasionally, but. Uh, uh, but uh, no, I, I follow it the whole time, and I love being I love being there. And it's the most wonderful stadium. This great Venus flytrap at the bottom of the downs is wonderful. Um, if, if you, and it'd be even better if you could get away quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's one downside. Yeah, well, I mean, they they got to sort that out. But um, hmm. uh, it's uh, it is the it's a brilliant stadium, a great roar, and uh, and it's a testimony to to um, fandom as well. The fact that Tony Bloom, a fan. Has um, has has done it, and and there's so many people who are involved in in securing the future of of uh, mm. Albin, and uh, and uh, it's been really well supported by by people who've who've uh, got enough in their pockets to 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 help help it make it happen. Mm. And and the sort of the weight of support in general, um, both locally in general, uh, but fan related in particular, is uh, everybody's done their bit, haven't they, and fought towards getting this. And yeah, I went to the um, Liverpool game with um, um, obviously in, in terms of the the the, the 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 spirit of the club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. the, when the fans were great. I mean, I went to um, Anfield to see them play uh, when I was working in Manchester. As uh, went got, got to Anfield to see, mm. and uh, and and I just I <laughs> I was I. Um, the BBC had got me a got me a, um, a press seat, which was great. So I was in the middle. I wasn't uh, in the Albion um, section. But uh, then you'll never walk alone. It was just crashing in with, mm. and the whole of the Albion was the whole of the Anfield was was just sort of ringing with it. And then Sussex by the Sea came up in the corner. I thought it was fantastic, great, great spirit, and so sort of taking on. You'll never walk yeah, walk on. Mm, yeah, oh, it's great. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great ground, great place to go. And we're going there soon, of course. And speaking of Liverpool and others, um, I'm just looking at the top of the table, and there seems um, one particularly unfamiliar face in the top six, Robin. I, I don't know what you make of this. We're sixth in the table. We are um, two points off top, and we mm. are effectively joint third if you ignore goal difference um, mm. with Man City and Man United and, and Everton. Um, that's brilliant times, isn't it? I can't believe we're we've started so well. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a great fan of as it stands stats. You know, they always have as mm. it stands. We were this like that. As it stands, we're in Europe. You know, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a long it's way to go. It's just a form guide, isn't it? At the moment, yeah, that's well, what it is. I know, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Mm. But um, you know, when uh, when people said just before the Palace game, they said, "Yeah, we win this. We're we go top and stuff." Like that. I'm, I'm a terrible believer in, in hubris. I think no, don't say it. Don't say it. It, it won't happen. <laughs> Um, but so I don't say, well, it is, it is fantastic. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, and um, there's been a lot of a certain amount of luck along the way and, and we've ridden it and we've had bad luck before and we're having uh, good luck at the moment. But it's, um, it's, we deserve it. Yeah, we, the spirit of the club is fantastic and uh, it's great to see and, and uh, I think it's brilliantly led. And uh, I, I imagine the spirit of the team is, 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 is good. I, yeah, you just want to want to do it. Want to do it against Norwich. Want to do it against the uh, the teams we should be beating, and uh, we'll see see how this is on Saturday. But um, uh, it is it is it is brilliant, and it's great for the club, and um, and we just hope we can sustain it. And I mean, obviously, a fantastic um, selection of players we have at the moment. But in terms of through your Albion supporting 
lifetime um since you've been going to games who, who's been your have you got a particular favorite player would you say um i well, possibly will buckley uh oh. it was it was always i mean every time he gets got the ball it's just it's really really great really exciting and uh you always thought something's going to happen down the left there and and uh in you go um so yeah perhaps i would say those two are probably um mm. uh the, some favorites yeah i mean very dynamic isn't he Cass, with his springy kind of a turn of pace from a from a standing start thing was really? brilliant, and and Will Barkley with those two goals against Doncaster in particular, which mm, was a mm. fantastic day. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Robert, just to round off then, um, and to bring it back to the current time in terms of your career, you're um working on another project at the moment, aren't you? So, would you like to tell us about that? Um, and it's to do with Sky, isn't it? It's coming out imminently, and will be. Um, available on catch up, I understand. Uh, tell us about the project. What, what is that? Well, Sky is showing it. Sky Sports Racing is showing it. I mean, a, a jockey hmm. rang me up, an ex jockey rang me up because um, he knew I liked racing. And um, he was, we were talking about the script that he'd written for. Um, a, a, he wanted to write something about the pressure that jockeys are under because two jockeys committed suicide last year, uh, one of them was Sussex um, uh, jockey, uh, Liam Trevor. And it was, and it rocked the um, racing world, of course. And um, and he felt he wanted to sort of just put in context the, the the pressure that he feels that jockeys are under more more than most athletes, and um, it's something that has always interested me as well. So uh, he makes documentaries. This, this uh, Nathan Horrocks, who writes runs a company called Equine Productions, and um, but he'd never done a drama before. So we ended up collaborating on it. We so we wrote the script and and we co-directed it um, uh, on set and. Uh, and it's all finished now, and it's going out tonight at ten on on Sky Sports Racing, and it'll be on demand with Sky Sports Racing. And we're in various festivals, um, international sort of um, short film festivals, uh, and so it will be seen more widely than for racing subscribers in time. But for the moment, anyone who's got a Sky Sports subscription can watch it um, uh, as of this evening. Excellent. Just to mention this evening being Thursday, the 7th of October. So we're recording this on the 7th. So if you're listening after that, um, uh, it doesn't matter. You can still catch up on demand if you're uh, able to yes, access it. It's, anyway. it's, called, it's called The Fall. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it'll be available on demand on, on, uh, on the Sky Sports channel. The Fall. Excellent. Okay, great. And in fact, just, just quickly on that subject, mentioning about suicides and things, I mean, uh, I, I'm guessing part of this could have been precipitated by. Uh, the situation with lockdown, I, I'd imagine, in, in these cases. I don't know if that was the case with those particular jockeys. No, you mentioned, I, I, I think was, was that, that wasn't relevant. Oh, okay. um, and okay. There were various other factors which um, um, oh, okay. sadly sadly um, led to their... Uh, you know, not being yeah, no, I just wondered with the timing of it. Yeah, But no, nonetheless, uh, of course, it is a very serious subject. Um, and it just shows, yeah, in, throughout sports, actually, isn't it, that, uh, and, and beyond... Um, the matter of mental health is, is such a big issue now. Um, and the, the social what, media, the, the, the role of social media is also something we, we uh, is dealt with in the in the film. Hmm. It's a short film; it's a twenty-minute. Uh, it's a short, and um, okay. and and the sort of stuff that that the players get or the the, the riders get at the end of a end of a day um, as they drive home, and it all comes um, flying at them uh, from all angles. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 a tricky watch. People say it's a hard watch, but um, it's the, the subject matter is tricky. So and I, I so it should be. I think it's important to see things like that. Certainly, yeah. I'll be looking to have a look at that. I think I'm going to tune in certainly for that. Um, Robert, thank you very much for joining us. A quick prediction: Where are we going to finish in the table this season? <laughs> <laughs> I know you said about hubris. Hubris, yes, yeah, I know. But, um, I know. <laughs> I, 
Well, we've got, we've got, we've got, we've got, well, obviously we, we seem to do very well against the real, the, the, the big teams. We've got to, um, yeah, we have got a couple of Titans coming up and uh, let's, uh, let's do well against them. Um, we've got to hit the target and I, and, uh, and uh, Arsenal, if we hit the target and Arsenal would have been sunk. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to, I, do we want just mid-table respectability or do we want to go higher? I'm, I'll be like Bruce Forsyth and say higher, higher, I think. <laughs> yes, I think hopefully, uh, I think possibly this will be the case that we can achieve that top half finish that Tony Bloom wants for us uh, this season for the first time. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to say 10th, um, but um, somewhere around there anyway. Yeah, okay, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> okay all right <laughs> robert thank you very much for joining us it's been a pleasure and i'll no doubt i'll see you around at the albion at some point yeah I look forward to that russell thank you cheers all the best on the show peter hello peter hey russ sorry i'm not going to be able to keep up with some of the uh, exciting guests you've had on the show not quite the uh, not quite as interesting well, you know, you could do your best. That's all I can say. We, we've, I'll we've give 110%, you know. <laughs> yeah, can't have 110%, damn it. <laughs> anyway, um, well, yes, I mean, it was great to hear from, from Robert there, who's an Albion fan, doesn't get too many games, but it's, it's, good to, it's good to hear he's kind of in the loop as well. The FA Cup, of course, this weekend, we've already mentioned, but steering our attention to Albion-related matters, of course, um, as far as our weekend goes, the Albion are away at Norwich. Both you and I go into the game with our own separate plans. You're going up for a long weekend. I'm doing a day trip with a lift from a friend in a car. So um, completely the opposite. I think in both cases, it will probably involve alcohol in pubs, though, I would imagine. At least I, for I mean, me, I anyway, don't think not for my driver. I'm mainly having water, to be honest. Yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely <laughs> well, I'm definitely not having tea now so because I, so that I can you know, enjoy more alcohol over the weekend to have a yes. kind of break. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Well, our head-to-head record with Norwich is, is another one of those um, ones that's pretty similar, uh, pretty pretty well evenly balanced. We've had 24 draws between us. Uh, we've won 32 games. They've won 34. We've pulled that up to almost dead level after the last time the sides met in the Premier League, which, of course, was two years ago when Norwich last got relegated. I say last as if they're gonna, it's going to happen to them again this year. I, I fear it might. But anyway, we did do the double over them. In fact, our win at Carrow Road was pretty much one of the last nails in the coffin for them and was a valuable win for us to steer clear of trouble. Um, yeah. If we were to win this game coming up this weekend, apparently it'll be the first time since 1926 that we've completed back-to-back league away wins at Carrow Road, so that yeah, will be right. something. Because uh, from memory, we uh, we lost 2-0 there the time before, but I have to admit my memory was quite hazy, seeing as we just got promoted. And Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I, the players' memory yeah, quite hazy as well. Yeah, well, it's, I think it was one that, wasn't it the game where they had two, no shots on target but managed to win 2-0 because both were own goals off Stockdale's back from the, yeah, Stock, the bar. Stock, Stockdale was on a hat-trick, wasn't he? He must have been yeah. gutted when he came off. He didn't get the final goal. Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, we had the wonder when we would beat them 2-0 at uh, the Amex. In yeah, the, uh, I remember that's pretty cool. You know, we've it had was, a yeah. on top for the most of the game and then we scored a couple of goals second half, but we were well on top most of that game. Yeah. And in the 2016-2017 season, when uh, we got promoted, you've already mentioned the 2-0. Of course, the earlier game that season uh, was a 5-0 thrashing. So yeah. we have won three out of four. So the, the more recent... 
it was yeah it was it was indeed yeah and um yeah certainly the more recent memories are, are better ones for us against norwich we hope to continue that trend on saturday the odds are in our favor norwich have started really badly they uh, i think they lost the first was it six or seven games and then drew um at burnley and in what looked a pretty poor game it was last on match of the day in, in a weekend where we had a nil-nil with um, Arsenal. So I was, I was featured before theirs, which says probably quite a bit, um, even though the highlights were a little misleading, in my opinion. But anyway, um, yeah, so, it, you know, their first point, it's good they've got that, they've broken the duck in that regard. I know you're saying you're worrying about they've still got to break this, the winning duck and maybe that can happen so, sooner than later. Hopefully it can happen any time after this weekend would be fine by me. Um, thoughts on the game? Um Firstly, we've got to mention, of course, that there was an incident, um, well, a few, a few days ago now, it was about this time last week, when a player was arrested, there was rumours going around, we won't mention the names or go into too much detail on this at all, to be honest, because everything's up in the air, but a certain player from what appears to be our first team was arrested, um, he wasn't named for legal reasons, that didn't stop the Sun newspaper, or the scum, as we all like to call them, from doing exactly that, um, where they stand legally, I don't know. Um, but anyway, the player in question um, was arrested. He wasn't charged as far as we know, um, or, he, or if he was, he, he's been released on bail. Um, and that's pretty much as far as we're going to mention. We haven't been charged, don't we? I think, I think it's been... Yeah, I don't think he was. Nothing official. No. I, don't, I um, think it's been announced he hasn't been charged, but he's been bailed. But... Yeah. I mean, the matter is to do with a serious sexual assault. To do with a sexual assault. Yeah, we don't um, know what level yeah, or anything. Yeah. I mean, it's him plus eight. That's obviously any sexual assault is serious, but... We don't know how yet. Or indeed what mm-hmm. truth there may be in the, in the yeah, story. Exactly. So, It'll yeah, be interesting I mean, to see if, see if said player plays this weekend, should we say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are rumours that he is training and may be in line to play. That might give you an indicator as to what the club think about said charges. Who knows? But uh, there was another player, another person involved, a 40-year-old, who did accompany him in I the I don't think he's going to play. Um, no, he's definitely not going to play. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure that wasn't an Albion player as well. Um, so we're not sure, even in that regard, whether, you know, who, if anybody, was more responsible here. But we'll say no more about it, really, because I don't think it's yeah. fair to anyone to do so. We just hope that if there are any allegations, that they're not serious. And we hope that they're, they're actually false allegations, because that will be the best case scenario, if that is the truth of it. Um, but anyway... Obviously, that may, I mean, if people don't know who we're talking about, you if you want to, you probably can find out online who we're talking about. I think pretty much everyone does know. Um, that player in question may or may not feature um, at the weekends, whether he does or doesn't. I mean, we should have enough ammunition to beat Norwich on paper. We've, yes, we've drawn the last couple of games and... You know, that's that's a, bit, a little bit of a curb on our previous form of having started with loads of wins. Um, but I think we can get back to winning ways in this game. Norwich, to my mind, have not started well. They're not looking like a good side. I doubt they've really instilled too much confidence from the aforementioned results at Burnley. And they've got um, a game against an Albion side who did play very well against Arsenal. We were missing a number of players, of course. You know, obviously Lamptey still wasn't featuring. Basuma was still injured. Um, and, and there were other players who, like Welbeck, of course, and Alzate, who were missing as well. So without some key players, you know, we're able to to play well and deserve of a win, at least, against Arsenal. On that basis, I'm confident we can get a result. But we'll see what happens. Um, I, I was happy Modder came back and I think he made a difference. And I, as we said, yeah, on the I still last don't podcast. understand why he didn't start at Palace, to be honest. I mean, we had no balance mm. in our midfield. 
You know, it's like you don't want two ball playing players in midfield. You want someone who at least one of them wants to get stuck in. And yeah, neither Lalana or Grosh are that sort of player. It's not the way they play. So yeah. I still don't really understand what the logic was in a, a game with the intensity of a derby to play two kind of, you know, very, very good players who are very good on the ball and very good at carrying the ball forward, but wouldn't necessarily get stuck in. It kind of almost gifted them the midfield. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in terms of how are we going to line up? I mean, I know it's, it's anyone's guess with Graham Potter as always, but um, how, how do you fancy us lining up in this one? Well, it's obviously there's a few things up in the air, but it's that, I mean, I wouldn't have thought it would be that much different to the Arsenal game. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think probably it'll be quite similar. They may not risk one or two players. It's possible Lamptey might start. I think my own, my thinking with this is obviously he's been available to play off the bench the last few games. He, I mean, to me, Norwich on paper should be almost the perfect opposition for us in that their team is less good than ours and they play a very passing kind of, a, a, you know, kind of attacking style and don't really defend that hmm. well. On paper, that should be ideal for team for us because we're better than them at the way we the way that they want to play. Um, mm. We're less good at team against teams who dig in and sit back, which is why we struggled against the likes of Sheffield United and West Brom, who went down last year. Norwich, on the other hand, play a very open attacking formation for a team down the bottom. They, they you know they they don't necessarily defend deep. On paper, that should be the ideal game for Lamptey to get, come back in. He probably won't be fouled out of the game. And there should be plenty of opportunities to get, to get in behind the back of Norwich. So on paper, potentially, he could be he could be back in. But yeah, who knows? I mean, we don't know, obviously, what he's been up to over international break, how match fit he is, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, certainly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him for a bit game. And yeah, on, hmm. on paper, this should be, you know, 2-0, 3-0 for us. Paper never works like that. And uh, yeah, Albion are very good at losing to teams who are, who are you know, have got on a record like, haven't won in X amount of times, or whatever. Haven't haven't won ever. Haven't won here, or whatever. Haven't you know? Or lost last last five games. We are excellent at that sort of thing historically. So let's hope this team is slightly better. Especially as we've got a couple of difficult games coming up after that. You know, City Liverpool. Not too. You know, not easy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to look into um, one one element of this. Um, Am I right in assuming that the Matthias Norman, who's in Norwich's squad, yes, is. is the one we had in our yeah. in our team? Because he he actually looked really. He was the one thing that did look decent they in the Norwich game. Rostov, I think it was in Russia. Yeah, and he'd been he'd been linked with Man United at one point, which is a bit bizarre. I'm just seeing a, an article in here. I'm not sure when that's dated from. Um, actually, from August. Yeah, um, at one point, yeah, but saying Man United are considering a move for the fourth choice um, midfield target. Um, yeah, I mean, million possible deal. you wouldn't didn't necessarily have believe all that stuff, though, in the paper, yeah. generally, would you? I mean... Hmm. What, what do you think? Because he's, he's an attacking midfielder, basically, isn't he? He looked quite decent from the youth games that we, we saw him play in and the academy stuff, the under-23s. He didn't quite make it. He went on loan, I think, somewhere, and then he ended up just going on a permanent, as you said. He was yeah, I think strong. he went back to Scandinavia, didn't he, first, and then went yeah. to Russia. Mm. Yeah. But um, he looked quite yeah, bright I mean, in the game. A lot of, there's a lot of fuss at the moment about Jokeres and you know, how well he's doing at Coventry, I think I said before. The, the, the more players we bring through, the more quality we bring through, the more there will be players who people look at and say we missed out on, but that ignores, mm. you know, if he stayed at Brighton, he probably wouldn't have developed that far, you know, and same with but Jokeres probably needed a permanent club. He didn't want to keep going out on loan. So, you know, there's going to be... I think the key is, do we have sell-on clauses? You know, do we have a sell-on clause for Matthias Norman? Do we do we have one for Jokeres? And if we do, and we're kind of, you know, kind of protecting our... You know, and we you know, we got a million pounds for Jokeres in the end, and we got a bit of money, I think, for Norman as well, for players who hadn't really reached our first team. Yeah. 
then, and, as you and, said, and then we've got to sell on if they do do well. Then sell on maybe bonuses them. as well for a certain achievement yeah, levels. Exactly. So I, I think who knows? You know, it'll be interesting to see how he does on Saturday because there's obviously been mm. good reports. Gilmore will be another interesting one to see how he does. Um, obviously, he's mm. a pretty useful player on his day, but I mean, they they just seem to lack quality. Um, mm. He had a brilliant start to Premier League when he first they first came up, but hasn't really done it that you know, that much since then. Their defence is very, very you know, ordinary at this level. And, you know, and doesn't mean they won't beat us because any team in the Premier League, by definition, can beat another team. But, yeah, I, you've got to say we'd hope to get a win from this because they are the sort of team that we normally do OK against in terms of their way they play football rather than just being like, a, you know, kind of massive team who, you know, will basically aim set pieces and defend deep, which is like, say, Burnley or something like that, who we struggle against normally. Allowing for that, obviously, we won against Burnley this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look at the, the table. Obviously, we're just two points off top at the moment. I don't see us going top due to combination of fixtures. But keeping in touch with that for as long as possible is yeah. a great way of. Well, I think that would be it. as long as possible, won't it? <laughs> yeah. Next two games, I don't yeah. see us carrying on. I mean, if we're still in touch by the end of the month, then I think probably I might start to dream. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're we, we Liverpool. We would potentially be top if if our projected figures, um, sorry, if, if the figures from last year match this year. Um, I think that, that was accounting for yeah, Norwich. Yeah, I think we've got to accept that we're not going to win. We're the not going to beat Man, Man City at home and Liverpool away, which we did both of those last year. Definitely not going to and do Villa away as well. Yeah, even and Villa, yeah. that would be a tough one. So it is a crucial game, really, isn't it? Just to really cement our early season yeah, position, can, I think, ahead of those games. 17 points from, even if we lose the next two, 17 points from 10 with Newcastle home to come. You know, we're getting towards you know, halfway and, and actually get keeping, you know, we've got to keep it, you know, for all the fact that obviously we had a great start, it is, you know, want to get to halfway with over 20 points is the starting point and then you can build from there, especially with the news today that Welbeck obviously is going to be out for a while. I mean, who would have predicted that when we didn't buy a striker in the summer? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Searing sarcasm as usual, Peter, good to see, lovely. Um, it's the only sort of sarcasm. <laughs> you mentioned Norwich and... um uh, and Pukki, of course, their striker, their talisman up front. He he got amongst the goals in midweek in the internationals. Now Finland's course, record scorer, I think, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yari Lippmann, who's a pretty yeah. big name to overtake. Absolutely. Um, who played, of course, for our, one of our next opponents, Liverpool, at one point. But um, but no, Pukki got both goals, keeps their um, their qualification dreams alive. Of course, there was no Albion game to talk about because it was international break. Um, what there was, of course, to look at from our point of view was in England, um, or a pair of England games, and we beat Andorra 5-0. That just seemed like a just beat the beat the kickers kind of situation, didn't it? They seemed more, more intent on kicking us up in the air, uh, but job done. The second game, Hungary, was disappointing in two matters. One, of course, the scoreline, the fact we didn't beat a side we should be beating, really. One, uh, one all was the score in the end there, um, and we did go behind in the game as well. Um, what was much more disappointing, of course, was the behaviour of Hungarian fans. Not surprising, given the homophobic abuse no. in the Euros game, um, the fact that they've had racial abuse issues, um, and you know they've got the game behind closed doors um, as well. Of course, when we played them earlier, they've, they've um, yeah, I mean, disgrace, disgraceful scenes. What appears to have transpired is that a, a steward was racially abused by an individual in the Hungary end. Um, this came after there was an anti-knee taking flag and banner or whatever you want to call it and a load of vitriol from Hungary fans you couldn't really hear it on the audio but you could see on other visuals that were later shown 
So they were, they were, they were apparently baiting and in trying to intimidate England fans around them, including kind of people in a more family kind of orient as well. Um, and of course, when they tried to go in to arrest the guy for the, for the racial abuse of the steward, it all kicked off. And the, the footage people would have seen is of uh, police and those Hungarian fans clashing. Apparently these are, these are UK based Hungarian supporters based on travel restrictions or whatever else in, in the main, at least. Um, so you know, it's not even kind of one-offs coming into the country. That, this is... Sadly, frankly, I'd have been more yeah. surprised if none of this happened. To be honest, it's yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. given Hungary's record recently, it's and given who their government is, it's hardly surprising. Yeah, yeah they've been empowered by a fascist dictatorship, effectively, um, yeah. and the, the behaviour is manifesting itself as exactly as you'd imagine. And also um, the other way around is that they voted for him as well. So yes, obviously, exactly. what's the views Chicken there in the first place in their country? You know, you know these people. He didn't just come in, take power. He was actually voted in. So obviously, there were these views in the first place that, as you say, then have been justified by the fact that he's in charge and is doing that yeah. sort of thing. So it starts, at the, it starts at the top when you've got a government who behave like that. Then it's not surprising that your football fans and other other members of areas of society behave like that as well. Yeah. Well, they need to clamp down on it. They're an absolute disgrace. And let's yeah, see how Lily livered the UEFA will be. Yeah, as usual. Yeah, I mean... Slap on the wrist of... and then someone does something slightly wrong with advertising and they get a million pound fine or something. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's obviously far more shocking than rate, continual racial, racial abuse. You know, to have yeah. like, someone advertising something that isn't exactly uh, what UEFA want them to. That's like the worst crime ever. Yeah, clearly not an important issue, um, as opposed to money, of course. And we'll get onto that subject in a minute with a certain takeover. We'll come to that in a second. But just on the international theme, I mean, there was also, uh, well, actually, there, there's been a report that covering the breadth of the 2021 20, 20, season, England games saw 92 arrests. 90 of those are at the Euros, unsurprisingly. I'd imagine virtually all of those are in the, uh, the game at the final. Yeah, a lot <laughs> um, of those, you'd imagine, were there. Yeah. Um, Albania also, uh, midweek, there was some, some unsavoury scenes there where Polish players, possibly including Moda, who was playing for Poland in that game, um, were, were were littered with objects. Um, he he went off, though, by then. He went off at half-time. Was, was he um, off? Good. The goal oh, good. was he rested. 78 <laughs> minutes, I think, something like that. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a shower of missiles thrown on the players. Absolute disgrace. Can't yeah. be seen to be happening. Yeah, it's not good like, It's interesting. I was, I was wondering if they were asked at a press conference earlier, but it wasn't, but... I'm assuming that Modder isn't injured. It was tactical based on the fact yeah. that there's no comment about it afterwards. Yeah, fingers crossed. And that's good news for us that he didn't feature too heavily, which is one thing. Um, one international um, record came to an end. Italy, 37-game unbeaten run, including, of course, the Euros, um, came to an end when they lost the final of the Nations League to Spain. Um, so that's that over. Um, I mean, final. <laughs> oh, was it? Sorry, that was the semi-final, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. Spain lost to, it, to France in the final, didn't they? Yeah, sorry, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Fikayo Tomori, an Albion link, of course, once on loan to us from Chelsea, went on loan elsewhere, Derby amongst other places, has ended up playing in Italy along with his former teammate at Chelsea, um, Tammy Abraham. Um, he's making his way, isn't he? He's doing quite well at Milan. Yes, yeah. Um, well, one of the, the way... many players who played their part in you know, that promotion season and you know, did yeah. pretty well when he came on. And yeah. uh, I seem to remember the, uh, the QPR game, he came on at half time, and that was one of my. One of my all-time favourite games, though. Yes, the um, yes, the um, Pokémon. I seem to remember him and Hunemai when Dunk went off dealing with Max Smith, who was about six foot five or something. <laughs> it's a bit unfair, really. He's a sturdy block either, of wood. Either isn't him or Hunemai being like being huge for centre halves, like six foot six foot one, and having to deal mm. with Max Smith, who's, yeah. uh, who's definitely bigger than a six foot one. 
Yeah, yeah, he looked a good player. He's gone. He stepped on, of course, with more experience. Yeah. Sounds a good lad. He's earned his place in the England team. He made it. I think it was his first start. I'd rather play him than Cody and and Mings, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather exactly. play Duncan Webster, but yeah, yeah, given the choice between Tamori, at least he's younger. You know, he's got more hmm. chance to improve. I mean, the one thing I'll say about you mentioned Dunk and you mentioned Mings and 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 Cody and and Tamori. There is one link here in terms of who gets in and who doesn't, which is to do with the to do with this DNA thing as well is is promoting through the through the ages. They, I think I was a, a real advocate of us setting out to try and do and to put more emphasis on the the under twenty ones tournaments and so on and yeah. the, and the younger age groups. And he is part of he is a product of that Tamori. To, to yeah, I, I don't have an issue. You can see there's a pattern, can't you? Yeah. But I, um, I just question whether you do that just solely because, I mean, it's clear that Dunk is better than, mm. you know, you look at Dunk's defensive record in the Premier League and it's clear he's a better player. Yes, I mean, the first two seasons, you can argue he his team sat deep, so maybe he wasn't so suited. But, you know, the last three seasons we played quite high up the pitch and he's done really well. And Webster, I think, actually is a you know a really good option for England. He's got actually got more pace and even White wasn't in this time, so all the last squads, so like, I don't really... Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, one other bit of news, actually, switching tack. Um, following Worthing this season, their results, they had a brilliant win, 4-3 in midweek, and just started yeah. a day or two ago, away at Kingstonian, who, who did start off on a flyer. They, I think they won their first five games. But Worthing have gone above them on goal difference, and they have a game in hand still as well on Kingstonian after a 4-3 win. They were 2-0 up, came back to... Um, sorry, they were 3-0 up, came back to... No, I can't remember now. I think it was 2-0 to 2-all, 3-2 to 3-all, and then then we got ahead again or something like that. I can't remember. Um, But it was a dramatic game anyway. Um, And they are now a point behind leaders Enfield Town, my local club, and they are playing away to Enfield Town on Saturday. I would have popped along. It's a walkable distance, but of course I'm going to be... uh, But not from Carrow Road. Yes. (laughs) Um, But well done to them. Yeah, if anyone deserves promotion, (laughs) Worthing, it's safe they do. Exactly. I mean... I should say they've got a game in hand on Enfield as well. So even if they don't win that game, they're still in touch. So that's good news. Um, sticky on the Albion theme, women's team got back to winning ways with a great win against Tottenham at the weekend. Yeah. Um, 2-1. Um, they hit the bar a couple of times as well. And Tottenham were the buzz side early doors. They got off to a really good start to the season. So, And they are, in fact, they're still above Brighton after that result. So that shows you how good a result that was. Um, back to winning ways. Um Great, really good to see. And yeah, uh, we've great, got really the awesome. FA Cup semi-final at the end of the month, which the BBC website was saying was at one o'clock in the morning, according to their, uh, their website. I'm pretty sure that might be a, a printing error. Uh, Maybe our there. best chance of Arsenal fact that they're really sleepy or something. <laughs> it's a tough game, isn't it, as well, Arsenal? As I understand it, it's an away fixture, isn't it? I think that's how they do it. Yeah. And Arsenal have got oh, the actual overall form team so far this season. They're top of the table and they are looking on fire at the moment. So a very, very tough fixture. Um, the other semi-final is Chelsea-Man City. Chelsea, obviously, not easy at all. We lost to them already. But Man City have had a bit of a mare. They're still below us in the table. Um, that's the team we probably would have liked out of the three. But good luck to the women with that and, indeed, to games in the interim. Um, well, Peter, there's one or two... Big stories have come up this week and um, we've kind of, well, we've mentioned, we've alluded to one which we don't want to talk about in any more detail. The other one is, of course, Newcastle, which was, I think, in the offing much earlier in the season. We already damned it as a concept before. It's come back with extra anchovies, hasn't it, this time? It's gone through. It's gone through on the basis that the issue that was the actual stumbling block, which was that the Qataris TV company BN Sports had rights to broadcast in the Middle East, and Saudi were blocking their rights in Saudi Arabia, 
and were and then illegally streaming their games. And they had a thing called Be Out Q as well, which I think is pretty um, pretty sarcastic and cheeky of them. Anyway, they, those issues were a major stumbling block. And lo and behold, they've promised not to do that, and they're going to go by the book on that matter. And that apparently means that it's all right now to go ahead on the um, the owners and directors test um, in terms of passing it. They can now own Newcastle. They have subsequently bought Newcastle for 300 or just over 300 million pounds from Mike Ashley. Newcastle fans obviously delighted with that. That first element, obviously, you can understand the getting rid of Mike Ashley. Fair enough. But they seem pretty jubilant about the whole the whole matter with uh, the Saudis. Obviously, the money that's going to be coming in over a long sustained period is going to be Man City part two with extra with extra uh, topping, isn't it, really? This, I'll keep going with pizza analogies. I've got to stop that. It should be Saudi-related analogies, shouldn't it? Um, anyway, they are they are going to be a dominant force, amongst other dominant forces in the Prem for years to come. It seems almost inevitable, um, unless the Saudis decide not to pump money in, which doesn't seem likely. Um, so they're jubilant, um, but they are kind of seemingly, on the most part, jubilant in a carefree, conscious freeway, with the exception of a few journalists I've heard who right for the Newcastle area, um, including George Colkin and others like that who are reputable. But a lot of fans just seem to be out and out jubilant, don't they? I've got to say this leaves more than a sour taste in my mouth. I think it's an utter, utter disgrace that anybody connected with the Saudi royal family, the state of Saudi, should be having any involvement in English football. It's sports washing in the most unsavoury terms, isn't it? So, it, I mean, to be honest, I just genuinely wonder what you have to do to pass to uh, fail the fit and proper persons test that they nationally put through, other than apparently affect the Premier League's uh, payment money rights, basically. Because, yeah, apparently murdering Turkish journalists and a Turkish yeah, journalist yeah. Is, is OK. Apparently suppressing the rights of women, LGBT community, um, anyone who's any sort of issue with you is OK. Apparently... Running a country in in the way they have is is okay. So yeah, I mean the Premier League. I, I never thought they really showed any balls last time. It was it was all money related, but they've shown themselves to be the spineless as they you know as they always have. How on earth? And every other club apparently has complained about it to the. I mean, I'm sure that the big clubs are complaining about it because they don't want them to have the money. But realistically, how on earth these these guys are actually allowed to? I, mean, I know they they all say, oh well, you know, it's not directly linked to the to the source and that sort of thing. Well, it's bollocks. Of course it is. It's like all the money is coming through something that he's chair of. Of course it's linked to him. And yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, Stavely, Amanda Stavely. 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 Disgrace, as you were saying. It's, I don't understand the logic. And all these Newcastle fans are a bit sickening, really. It's like, you'd have thought that they'd been like, ended up like us or ended up like, you know, Macclesfield, the way they bury the way they're moaning. The worst that's happened to them in the last 20 years is they've been top of the championship for a season. That is literally, you'd have thought they've been bottom of League Two for the last 20 years based on their... Yeah, I mean, I know they're a big moaning. They should, be, they should be aspiring to do better than they have done. They should be aspiring to do better. They've not suffered in football like terms. I mean, to no. be honest, they've not suffered full stop because we look at what's happened in the world and you wonder, you know, it's pathetic the way they kind of moan on and that sort of thing as a, as a group. Their behaviour generally is pretty... Pathetic, but I mean, even in football terms, there are so many. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle have jumped up quite high up in my team list of disliked teams now because of who owns them and the way their fans have behaved around it. And it's yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the jubilation. You can. It's one thing to be like kind of well, I know it's nice that Ashley's gone, but I've got kind of concerns, obviously, around who it is. But you know, I'll still support them. But to be so jubilant and so blatantly over the top about the people, these people coming taking them over is frankly. Yeah, I mean, 
wearing all the sort of the, the, the headdress and yeah, they're, they're turning up with their grand tea towels and all this stuff and putting right around their heads and just to just kind of bigging up the whole Saudi element of the takeover, yeah. which itself is rather unpleasant. I mean, for any Newcastle fans out there who are cringing at this, um, you know, this takeover, then fair play to you. Anyone who's reticent about it, I can understand how you'd welcome the money coming in and whatever else. But the fact of the matter is you've got to have a moral compass on this. And it is, it is vile, sickening and disgraceful of the Premier League to allow this takeover to happen. We're talking beheadings, uh, public floggings um, and stonings for yeah. matters of... The things what, that are completely ridiculous, you know, it's ludicrous that they're yeah. legal, you know. Things that are either infringing on human rights or yeah. are minor crimes. And including minors as well. Under, under 18s that are quite reasonably regularly, mm-hmm. and certainly until recently, executed yeah. in Saudi Arabia. You know, yeah. 16-year-olds that we're talking about here. How, how are they, these people fit and proper to run a football club or anything, you know? Yeah. Amanda Staveley, who's 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 ten percent um, owner in the new uh, the new scheme, um, and she's going to be fronting it and running it day to day. She's great, great to the crowds and everything, but she stated that um, they're not run by the Saudis. It's not connected. It's not state owned. Um, yeah, but the I chairman of it is, 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 is the is the damn royal family. You know, for goodness sake, there's no it's way. Run by a, it's run. It's funded by a fund that's like literally Saudi fund. owned by owned yeah. by the Sultan. It's like I mean, yeah, they've admitted that. So how is it not owned by the royal family? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> literally eighty percent. This fund is eighty percent run, I think, by or it's one hundred percent sports washing, isn't it? Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, sports washing just means improving your reputation by by affiliating yourself. Except they're not though; they're just bringing down Newcastle's reputation. Ironically, <laughs> yeah, no one's so, falling yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only exactly. place they've gained support is in Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you've got Amnesty International and various other human rights organisations who are vilifying this decision, not just uh, having objections to it, uh, and all of the other clubs, as you said, there might be ulterior motives included, but all of the other clubs are against it. You've got to think, hang on, why is this being allowed? Surely if the Premier League is run by the clubs, mm-hmm. that should have been voted out. I'm not quite sure exactly what's happened there in terms of the approval, but it, it's gone through nonetheless. But I think it's and a Premier League gonna... as the organisation rather than a Premier League as the clubs who are the ones yeah, who, yeah. who decide. I mean, gonna... In fairness, I can understand why that is. It shouldn't be down to 19 clubs to decide whether one club is owned by someone because there could be someone who maybe isn't isn't brilliant, but, you know, kind of, you know, it has a lot of money and they're blocked for the wrong reason. So I can understand why that is. But the Premier yeah. League itself has just shown itself to be the money-grabbing, you know, bastards that they've always been. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. 100%. And it's one of the reasons I don't like being in the Premier League. I mean, obviously, I support Brighton. I I want to go to games in the Premier League. I want to watch them and my team to win. But the Premier League always makes it unsettles me because of the, you know, how much money is around it compared to the lower leagues. And this is another example of something where they they blocked it originally for completely the wrong reasons. It wasn't the right, you know, the wrong reasons were were given for blocking it. And then somehow some backdoor deal is done whereby suddenly things are okay and and it's allowed, even though these people are still committing human rights abuse on a daily basis. It's, yeah. 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 Oh, Kieran Maguire tweeted under the um, Price of Football banner on uh, Twitter, and um, they apparently they'll, they'll have capacity to spend 190 million without breaching FFP, which is a hell of a lot of money. And if they're shrewd with how they do that, obviously they'll be successful as part of a, an ongoing plan. Um, 190 mil. That's a lot um, to be dealing with. It does distort. You can buy things. four and a half Joe Lintons with that. <laughs> exactly. And not that they are owned by the Saudi royal family, of course, but Obviously if they not, no. happen to be, um, they are worth more than 10 times Man City's owners. Um, I'm sure they'll get so, some sort of 
Saudi led sponsorship deal that will bring in a lot more money than yeah, than exactly. you expect them to get sponsored for. Yeah. It'll be some yeah. James's part sponsored by Saudi yeah. Airlines or something that exactly. will pay some billion pounds or whatever over like ten years. What will then mean they don't, they don't have to worry about financial fair play anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, as I say, ten times City, isn't it? They have that, their ground sponsored by for a huge yeah. amount by the owners, basically, or some sort of connection to the owners, and it allowed them to go and throw money around. Yeah, I think they fell foul of some something scrutiny in the scrutiny. They've been punished, have they? No, not fully. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the wealth being ten times cities just shows exactly how much of a yeah. big deal this is because City themselves have effectively brought their way to the top table with that. Yes, they've they've worked it well, and yes, they have put a lot of money into into the local area, which Newcastle's representatives are saying, you know, in terms of fan groups and so on, are saying that they're hoping would also be the case there. And it, it probably could do with some regeneration. That might be one good thing that comes out of this. But as you said, at what price? Um, what's what's really disappointing is I think it's I can't remember which of the groups it was one of the Newcastle supporters groups um, when talking about the matter of gay rights was saying, well, we hope that they they will show some kind of um, conciliatory attitude towards gay rights in England when in any statements they make or something like that. You think how how wet, how how pathetic is that? That's not you want to be was condemning. That the same that. one that wrote that letter to them saying how wonderful it was they were. They were coming over and all that. Sort oh yeah, of the toadying, toadying in the extreme, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the whole thing just, is oh. such a bad taste in the mouth. And yeah, and this is not. I mean, this is not in any way jealous because I'd much rather have Tony Bloom, who obviously has nowhere near the money that they do, than I would have, you know, kind of these guys. I, I would rather have mid-table with Tony Bloom or lower mid-table or even relegation with Tony Bloom than have any yeah. involvement with a regime that treats their, you know, treats their systems like yeah. that. Frankly. Well, what- yeah, I'd rather be in League mean, 2 with, an, like, with Dick Knight uh, with Dean than have any involvement from the Saudi royal family, frankly. Well, wife was talking, wife was talking to me off air about this, um, actually, just today, and saying, to what degree do you have hold the moral compass in terms of if, if we the Albion were where we were at our lowest ebb, struggling in League 2, and some, I know it's very unlikely, but if the Saudi royal family came swooping in and goes, right, we're going to save you save you and build you all the way up and over a whatever 20 year plan we plan to win the title or whatever yeah how would you feel about that peter is there any degree to which you would be a conciliatory to that i mean i I don't think i'd be yeah i I really would feel i certainly wouldn't be jubilant like newcastle fans are Hmm. i would be very very concerned and it would be a matter of literal on what was happening it would have been literally saving would i start watching the club i don't know honestly i can't say but I would, any success would be tainted by the fact that, you know, it's just like been bored, basically. I mean, we were saying on the WhatsApp groups, you know, look at the city and how many fans came to the semi-final of the FA Cup against us. They've had so many trips to Wembley. You can only have so many after a while. Mm. And they've become interesting. You know, they have nowhere near sold out their, their allocation. And, mm. you know, it's like it must get to the point after a while where, you know, you love early on winning stuff and that sort of thing. But actually... I mean, another another league cup, especially in Premier League, often is different, and they want to win another. They want to win a Champions League for the first time. But you know, another league cup is a bit like, well, what's the point? If we don't mm. want the last, the last four of them, haven't they, or three or yeah. something? Exactly, and the unconditional love, really, you know, an amazing day. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And we outnumbered them and outsung them on that day, didn't we, City? I mean, the unconditional love that Newcastle fans, barring with some exceptions, but most of the fans are showing for this um, new regime, um, does prompt me to think. I just want to see a swathe of Amnesty International flags at all grounds, Premier League grounds up and down the country, week to week, you know. Um, the rainbow flags somewhere. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, that's a really right. good point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there should be some sort of campaign, 
yeah, and you know, kind of, there should be a reflection that every Newcastle game that you know this is not acceptable, and but I don't think they'll care. So, I mean, what's the point? But yeah, it's it's yeah. just one of those things where I just can't see the jubilation. It's like I know Mike Ashley wasn't exactly the best chairman ever, but from, when all said and done, he basically kept them in the Premier League most of the time, and when they, when he didn't, he took them up straight away. They hardly yeah, had that, the worst time ever. You know, you yeah, one hundred ninety million. who's gone out of business recently. You look at clubs like Albion in the past. You know. Proper actual issues that a club have had, rather yeah, that's than long suffering, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's long suffering. You think Newcastle fans have lived in, you know, in the depths? I think when they had, when they were when when Keegan took over and they were bottom half of the what is now the Championship, I think they were getting crowds like seven, eight thousand. They're not loyal supporters. Everyone says they're the most loyal supporters and all that. It's bollocks. Hmm. And everyone says the atmosphere there, and I've never experienced that loud an atmosphere at St James's Park. Although you're yeah. so far away that you can't really hear it anyway. True, yeah. And Shira says, you know, no, if any fans deserve this, and they do, I think, well, Bollocks. and no more, no more than any other set of fans in the country. And you could say you can watch a better brand of football watching Newcastle than you can if you were a Berry fan or you were a Macclesfield fan or you are an Oldham fan or Blackpool, recent past, whatever you want to call, um, you know, in terms of a long, long list of clubs who genuinely have been long-suffering, and some of whom still are, and, and many still will be for, for a long time yeah, to come. Exactly. I mean, and I, the irony I, is... I think there's um, one thing that they could do to help get them improve their reputation with away fans, and that's move the away fan end down to the bottom rather than having to walk up those stairs. Yeah. No, you just want to save your legs, don't you? I know. <laughs> yeah, I'd change um, all my views if they just moved, stopped me having to walk up all those <laughs> bloody stairs in the away end. But if the game's crap, you've got a good view of the city to gaze upon, haven't you? So it's, it's not too bad if and it's the best, sunset that, the best as well. atmosphere and fans in the country. <laughs> well, well, we'll see about that. I don't One think so. One of the quietest bunch, I think, normally, whenever I've been to St James's Park, I hardly hear a, hardly hear a noise, although we are so yeah. far up, you never know. Well, we could say when their tails are up, maybe, but that's the same for most clubs. Yeah, exactly. It? Most clubs are... Much yeah. more, well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the irony when the is, team's not doing well, that's the interesting bit. The irony is that um, Mike Ashley, for all it, for all of his faults, and yes, his lack of communication and engaging with the fans, his lack of actually moving the club on or investing properly to to that genuinely build the club from what he was supposed to have been doing. Um, uh, with all of that in mind, he's ultimately left them in healthy shape financially, which is why that 190 mm. mil is is the figure that's allowed, rather than what would have been less if they just came in on a debt ridden club. Um, so there is that to mention, but also, I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, Steve Bruce is his last, his, his man there. I was listening to um, a guy called um, Emil Franchi, who's one of the presenters on uh, the True Faith po- podcast. He was talking on Sky Sports today. Uh, he's brutal. I mean, he was, he did seem pretty pleased with it. Um, he was a little, you know, with a pinch of salt, but he seemed pretty pleased. But what he said about Steve Bruce was, um, it's a bit like, you've, got, you know, you've, you've split up your ex and your ex has left an old bit of clothing hanging around in your, flat and that's what steve bruce is i thought god that's brutal <laughs> it made me laugh out loud but i mean that's how the fans are now thinking for, for him his days are numbered he's got zero oh, yeah. chance of lasting the season what, what will be interesting is whether he will get his 1000th game um, as a manager in general as a professional manager in charge of his hometown club which was his dream job because he's a newcastle boy born and bred whether he'll get that thousandth game as a courtesy slash sentimental gesture, 999. So it's oh, literally just one game. Yeah. But it sounds like he will. It sounds like that. Yeah, it's only two days now. It's three days, sorry. Yeah, he's had a press conference speak. today, I think. So yeah. And they've got the game with Spurs, haven't they? And oh, it's, it's, it's a home game. Yeah. In, the word, in the name of, in, a, in a, the words of a previous Newcastle manager, I would love it, love it if they you know, messed up in January and went down. That would yeah. be uh, yeah. hugely entertaining. 
But whatever you think about Steve Bruce, and I think he's had six promotions as a, as a manager um, from the championship, he's done a fairly good job, all things considered, considering the lack of investment and the weak squad I think they've got. And they've looked pretty poor when we played them. But ultimately, they've survived year on year. And been above um, us those seasons that yeah. have been so, charged. So you'd so. have to say, it's dire though it might be, and unentertaining. He's done a good job to, as yeah. a holding job, if you want to call it that. So I think out of respect, he should get that 1,000th game managing his boyhood club. It's only three days away as we speak. And it's not going to make a huge difference. They're playing at home to Spurs. After that, you know, I, I severely doubt he will last any or much longer. Yeah, the um, interesting question is, who's, who's next? Yeah, well, Graham Potter, of course, that's the final point to mention on here. He has been linked. Um, how significant or serious any links are, I'm not sure. Some people rumouring approaches. Um, Favre is another person. He's going much less likely now. From the yeah. Bills, Conti apparently is available, but um, it might be that that's not happening. Uh, Antonio Conti, that sounds like a good kind of a fit. As the first yeah, I think, they want, I think they want, if they're really, truly going to go for this whole you know, kind of throwing money around, which is probably sounds like they're going to do. They need a big name probably in charge to do that yeah. because to attract yeah. the players. And yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, be, Potter's not a big enough name to do that. He, he's, I don't think he's that well suited to a club with big egos and that sort of thing as well. well I mean, the yeah, oil money. Listen to him. Yeah, the oil moneyed comparisons, of course, are between Newcastle and City, and that's going to be inevitable. And that's probably a good way of comparing it because they've got to do it over two, three, four, five windows, getting a manager of a certain stature yeah. in. And yes, City did that with another Italian, a Mancini, and yeah. he got them, what, the title in three years, was it, I think? Uh-huh. You know, they're going to have to do something like that and, and gradually build it up. You're not, there's no point spending 190 million if that's what they do end up spending on three complete and absolute megastars, yeah. even if they're able to. Because those guys don't want, well. they, they don't want to play with Lascelles and Richie yeah. and Longstaff, do they? So you get, I think you're going to have to build it in layers over two to yeah. three. Well, of, like, like many generations. of Aaron Ramsey, and I would say that's the kind of yeah, he'd be a good that would improve them. Yeah, but then, yeah. Tarkovsky's know, been mentioned as well, yeah. which is more to do with survival this year, I think, isn't it? That sort of signing. Um, but and I mean, he'd also improve them and be a decent backup as they moved up, I suppose, is the answer. Hmm. Um, yeah, whether he'd be a first choice as, you know, as they moved up the table, who knows? But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a layered practice. Now, I do think what they will do is they will, by the sounds of it, they are they have got good plans in place to kind of. To long plans and sensible plans. They're looking at the sporting director first and foremost. Ralph Ranick was linked. Uh, the guy, I've forgotten his name. Is it Carlos from Monaco, who's apparently got a good reputation? He's been heavily linked. I, I, I think Monchi would be a good one if they could get him from Seville, but uh, he's, he's maybe out of out of range. He's wedded to that club, I think. Um, those, those kind of people are, are probably the first step, and that will be the first sensible step. The other one is then to decide on the manager, which they'll have to do over the next few weeks. I think they will survive. And I know they're moving up the ranks in terms of dislike clubs for you, Peter, you've said earlier. But the one flip side of that is other clubs that you're not so keen on, like Leeds and Burnley, have a greater chance of relegation if Newcastle managed yeah. to steer away. Of course, there is that. Um, so we'll see. Quite I a lot of clubs Newcastle. I don't really like very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes, quite a long yeah. list. <laughs> yeah. This club yeah, so... in like 20 years ago to this day upset me in some way, so I've kind of <laughs> kept that distance. <laughs> He holds a he holds a grudge, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. Yeah, yeah watch Boys out! Don't want, to, don't want to offend me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's all like fifty-year revenge plans and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to probably revise my Newcastle for relegation prediction on this basis. I think one way or the other, they'll have enough. They'll do what they need to do. Yeah, even if it's firefighting in January, they'll do it, won't they? They'll get a couple of players in January. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they'll be they'll probably be fine. 
yeah. yeah, probably probably a couple um, of defenders because I mean, frankly, they've got if they can keep Max the Maximum and Maxman and Wilson fit, they've got pretty decent options in defence. Yeah, yeah, the defence has been the big fact, issue. Sorry. They've been leaking. Yeah. They've been leaking like hell, haven't they? And that that is the big issue. Um, which is what supposedly one of Bruce's fortes was to try and keep things. Yeah, solid, I suppose but... probably he had to play a bit more attacking because Newcastle fans where he go at him, and then of course leaves them more open at the back. Yeah, well. Having had um, two interviews already and at the risk of this getting too long, we'll probably leave it there, Peter. But um, I will see you, no doubt, up at Carrow Road at the weekend. Looking forward to that game. We really need to get a win and, and, um, and keep ourselves keep nice our and firmly. Keep our Champions League chances are right, Exactly. I was going to say, in the frame for the Champions League, it may be our last chance to get in there with Newcastle. Last chance the, to uh, say it, yeah. <laughs> who knows yes so in the meantime and that rounds it up for this one we'll, we may well be back in the pub for the next episode and um, we're hoping to we're hoping to get a bit of Man City representation as well on the pod for the uh, preview for next week's uh, episode um, and of course we'll be reviewing the Norwich game in that next episode wherever it may be but until then Peter stand or fall up the Albion Sports Social Podcast Network Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.